On this episode of the Peter Panda Podcast, we're headed back up the mountain with decorated houndsman and all-around badass Tyler Johnerson. Now, you may know Tyler from his authentic outdoor Instagram content, at Hunt Solo Tie. But if you don't already follow this guy, go do yourself a favor and look him up right now. Tyler is popularly accepted as one of the most experienced mountain men alive today. Seriously, if this guy had been born 240 years ago, you'd probably found him on the Lewis and Clark expedition amongst the legends like John Coulter. From hunting giant bull elk and mountain sheep to chasing crafty bobcats and lions with his pack of dogs, Tyler has been forged by his decades of raising hounds and living in the mountains year-round. He's a rare breed, and I was honored to sit down with him and soak up some of his stories and wisdom. So listen up, because today's woodsmen don't get any more legit than this guy, Tyler Johnerson. Good enough. Good enough for uh, a couple of couple of dirtbag houndsmen. Sam, get out of there. How old is Sam? Ten. Is mixed blood, walker dog Dude, mostly? Cross, 50-50. And she's in her twilight. She's still hunting here. machine. She's still hunting machine, but she... Uh, got, I think she has stomach cancer or something. And she earned... She's earned the... Right to live in the house, yeah. I graduate all my dogs to the... That's nice. When they get old. You've done so much for us, Sam. You can sleep but in. But the rest of them have a nice place to live, too. Boy, I tell you what, the tour you just gave me of the kennel out there, it was like a, a really fancy chicken coop kind of feel yeah. designed for a pack of hound dogs. It made me extremely jealous that I don't Cameras have something like similar. <laughs> yeah, and you got a ring doorbell camera in the corner. Those dogs are living their best lives out there. Big fenced area outside of their kennel too yeah. that's my goal i'm trying to move out of belgrade right now and try to go get some acreage and build a kennel of some oh, yeah. of some sort they like it dogs they don't i mean i raised lots of hounds in the house i wouldn't say a lot but i had a lot of dogs in the house over the years and all of mine to date have been in the house and they still hunt good for you and all that but they're dirty and but when you start having kids changes is that right yeah is that a big dis big uh turning what? point in the lion hunting career yeah it did for is this something uh, i should be preparing for you're gonna have kids i mean you can do whatever you want i mean it just <laughs> is easier easier for us you know you got the dogs over there and you got kids to deal with here and you don't really have to juggle it in your same living space and yeah plus i believe at least mine they're born out there you know, a lot of them. So they love it. They, that's just their house. That's well, you see this when dogs kind of like take ownership of a kennel, like a dog box where like dog really likes to be in that cage. Mm -hmm. And late at night when it's tired, it goes and gets in the yep. cage all by itself and wants to sleep there. They've got some yep. territorial pride. Well, even on a road trip or something like my dogs would rather be in the back of my pickup in their dog kennels than they would in a cabin or a house. And I just put them in there. Yeah. That's a beautiful thing. I don't, I like to hang out with them in the house. After I do too, or yeah. Whatever. Like down here in the, where we're sitting in my basement, I mean, after a big hunt, I let them come in here and it's kind of a reward and they get a treat and rub up on them or whatever. But I don't just do that to do that. You know, that's like a reward thing. Interesting. Sam, Sam's different because she's, 
she's earned it. She's old. She's the leader. She's the oracle. And there's a little more to it. Um, I just sold this dog. Oh, maybe not, not maybe, this dog. No, I'm getting to that. I sold a dog about six, seven weeks ago, and she was awesome, and she was going to be my lead, and that was actually becoming a problem because she was trying to beat up Sam. They were having a power struggle. Yeah, and uh, so I had to remove Sam from the situation to keep her from getting tore up. Hmm. And then that's not exactly why I ended up selling her, but um, it was it was contributed to it. Main thing was just Poppy had a couple of traits that I don't really want. You're um, like, don't mess with my lead cow here. But she was an awesome hunting dog, and and that's all, you know. Like, it's not like she wasn't great. She was. It's just. How old is she? The one I got rid of? Yeah. She was four and a half. Well, she got a whole career ahead of her. Oh, yeah. And she was a tenacious beast. I mean, hunting machine. But Sam's just kind of been a stronghold there. Um, I actually got Sam from my mentor, guy I went to my very first cat tree with from Scott D'Agostino. Is that right? Big dog. Yep. I wow. had. One winter, on my birthday, actually, I had a really good dog killed that I had gotten from my cousin and from out of Alberta. And then a month later, I had another good dog of mine stolen. Oh, my gosh. So it, I lost two dogs in a month. And Scott had this dog, Sam, that he wasn't hunting. He just, there was things he didn't like about her or whatever it was. and Or he just had, like, 20 other dogs. Probably. And so I got I got her from Scott and... Um, she turned out to be a great dog and I've never bred her or anything. She's just always been a, just a solid hunting dog. First time we're going to have to do a lot of backing up and explaining, but first time I hunted with you was down there. Oh, South Valley. Yeah. And, uh, your lead dog at that time was a really big male walker. Chase. Chase. And I, yeah that was a shoot that was fundamental day for me i hadn't seen many cats in a tree at that time yeah i think you asked me about five times if are we (laughs) gonna catch it yet (laughs) i'm like oh man i know about as much as you do right now i wish i could go back in time and and stop myself from asking all the dumb questions that we gotta figure out when i get to answer how long ago was that well we had a mutual friend there who kind of found maybe they found the track down there and you yep, were going to run it. And I was yep. in the neighborhood and just was like, Hey, this young kid was trying to get into line hunt. I was trying to kill a cat. I remember that. Yep. And I that was like, thing ran it? and ran and ran like in circles. Yeah, it did. We snowmobiled up to the top of the world out there like twice. And that was cool. In the bottom and, yeah. Well, that was my first. Uh, I knew who you were before that, but that was my first time ever hanging out with you, which is a pretty cool way to get to know somebody who's totally in their, their element. Now, was it just my dogs or was Josiah there with his? He had a dog I there. I can't remember. I want to say. I feel like he might have had a dog there, too. Yeah, of course he did because that's how we were on there. Well, I think we he had the track, and yeah. yeah. Anyway, that was an adventurous first day. I showed up, and you were like, yeah, you're Pete. I got the phone call. Sounds like you want to tag along. Whatever. <laughs> Here's the snowmobile. Keep up with me. And I was like, Oh shit! This is, this is adventurous. Uh, 
introduction to this guy and we did we it was a proper lion hunt hours later a long day we treed we treed that cat you treed that cat. your dogs treat that cat yeah i think it ended up being a big female and we took a picture and walked away but uh your lion hunting career started long before that so if you don't know already I'm sitting here with my friend tyler johnerson in my humble opinion one of the most legit lion hunters in north america today and he lives in southwest montana right where i live and we've crossed paths for years and uh i've looked up to tyler for years and has kind of established himself as an authority in the in the hound hunting space uh you might know tyler from his Instagram, from his affiliation, and some of the cool content he gets uh, that he gives to Sitka Gear and Yeti and brands like that. But besides that, you're a pretty quiet guy. You keep mm-hmm. to yourself pretty I good. I love telling hunting stories, but, you know, I'm also a little older. I'm, I don't want to age myself, but, like, when I got into this industry, and this is what I've done my whole life, so I've gotten to see this industry more from – Field and stream and outdoor life magazines to, oh, what's this? Email. So that's how you share your story to, you know, and now here. A magazine. Media. Yeah. And um, I'm a part. I have social media, and it's a part of my job and just to be relevant for some of the things I do for these brands. But, you know, I mean, you're always learning, right? So I always want to try to be humble, but keep it and you know frame it in a way that uh you share your adventure you maybe flick a tidbit of knowledge here and there but you're not trying to steamroll anybody with doing it this is the only way the right you know right i right. kind of try to showcase a sport that i'm really really passionate about um, yeah I think and do it in a and i have a pace of it you know i try to just you know i don't post everything but i certainly like to share my adventures and um and the dogs and you know where i've come from and because you know somebody i learn from people i mean i have not been a houndsman my whole life i didn't even become a houndsman until i was probably in my later 20s is that right yeah well let's let's just let's just back it up right now yep where were you born billings montana nice moved to bozeman in uh, seventh grade okay uh, and then i graduated bozeman high and played college baseball a few to schools always knew i wanted in montana no played in or eastern oregon so you left yeah yeah yep. and let me ask you this in high school you a big hunter oh big time you big time just not a houndsman but you were matter of fact i wasn't even into cat hunting you're killing elk, though, and oh, you're yeah. into mule deer. Arrow and bulls, er- killing pronghorn, yeah, bow hunting, yeah, chasing, you know. And then I think I shot my first black bear when I was 18. Mm. Um, and, again, it was because I wasn't into it, you know. But I had a real pure approach to hunting. Like, I wanted to be compelled to hunt. Like, I just – I grew up in a hunting family. Um, you know, my uncle was probably my biggest mentor – not probably he, he was he, that's kind of who i was he a montana man yeah yeah he lives in ennis 
And uh, so your uncle in your adolescent years here in Southwest Montana yep. kind of gets you in. I would just follow him around. I mean, he's a hardcore elk hunter, and, you know, I wanted to be like that. What did that look like? Did he have, like, a wall tent camp, or would you go out backpack day, day hunt? He was backpack hunting. Yeah, yeah. You all were ponying up and bow hunting. Yeah. On out your foot th- out of our backpacks, yeah. Which I Back can't before imagine a ton of, of people were doing then. Well, a lot you, of horse camps. You know, interestingly, I think if you talk to some of the older cliques of hunting, <coughs> at least the guys that have been around and Success- understand mountain hunting, successfully. a lot of successful hardcore hunters have come out of this region. I mean, even oh, guys I, in Alaska and stuff would be like, no well, doubt. some of the hardest hunters I know are from, you know, that southwest Montana, Montana country. And I don't, I don't know why that is necessarily, but I can say at least elk hunting around here. We have very steep mountains. Super steep. <laughs> and, and and the and, and they rugged. get they go up high. We go go up yeah. above ten thousand. And you feet. got grizzly bears to contend with, and now we've got a massive wolf deal to contend with. But you know, circling back to with my uncle, I didn't know any different. You know, backpack hunting and that whole style of hunting, I just loved it. I just ate me up. You know, I just couldn't get You just jumped, you jumped in the deep end yeah. of that as a young guy. So then I was 18. Killed a bear. When I shot my first black bear. Um, and then after that, you know, you kind of get the bug for it because you start to learn and you realize, you know, oh man, I. I can do this. I can, I can, I'm more, you're more. I'm into this. It. Yeah. And cat hunting never was on my radar until, um, it really wasn't. I, I was, a, I had, roommates with hound dogs and i wouldn't go i just wasn't it wasn't my thing in like in your 20 in your yeah, early 20s early and stuff tw- late teens young early 20s. young man yeah, 19 20 21 it was around on the fringes also though i was in college so i was playing college baseball gotcha um but i'd come back in the summers and i'd have roommates and whatnot and granted they'd go coon hunting maybe and i might have gone coon hunting a few times i mean i remember that but that's more just having a good old time and not really engaging in like tracking the 30 years from now i'm gonna look back and be like a big hound dogger so i actually i like that term i actually went to my first mountain lion tree with scott diagostino hell of a guy yeah and uh he's definitely i'd consider my mountain lion mentor that's pretty cool and uh that was shoot not an hour from here ended up catching the cat right at dark and you know once you see a cat in a tree for your first time well let's I've seen literally hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cats. Yeah, I was gonna. I was gonna old. say you probably are <laughs> knocking on the <laughs> the thousand, the thousand. Not tree. a thousand, but probably six, seven hundred anyway. Couple more years. <laughs> um, but anyways, it that just doesn't get old. But when you see your first lion in a tree, I think for anybody who's. Oh, I remember. I remember it like it like was yesterday. Like it was yeah. five minutes ago. I could tell yeah. you every detail. Yeah, and it just grabbed a hold of me. I think, and it makes you start thinking you know, deeply about, you know, again, I think a mountain lion's arguably one of the best solo hunters on the planet. And I want to be a good, effective bow hunter. And so I want to align myself with something I can learn from that's that effective of a killer. And so that's where the mountain lion kind of stepped into my world when I was in my mid-20s. Just an authentic, like, respect for this thing. Yeah. You're like, yeah. oh, damn. Yep. This is... And so I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to be good at this hunting thing, and this thing has yeah. perfected it for forever. And I spent my whole, to that point, my whole life in the mountains. I mean, that's all I did. I was 
built trail and you know i'd backpack every weekend as a kid i'd bow hunt all fall i'd quit work and just live out of my car i mean i that's all i did was hunt and i never would see a lion you know and so they're just they have that allure about them that you just they're fascinating creatures so then you see one and then you're just kind of starting to you get that lock no pun intended your eye lock and you're like holy moly and then well, that you, just starts if you don't know work. what Tyler's talking about he's talking about when you're at a cat tree when you're at a tree and the lion is up in the tree above the hound dogs lions have a real good habit of staring deep into your soul eye to eye making locking eye contact with humans um at the tree and it's it's eerie and beautiful and powerful and uh no other animal will look at you oh, like it's a mountain moving, lion. you know and i i equate a lot a lot of that well there's probably a couple reasons why that is when they're in a tree um but just in a broad sense a mountain lion is wired offensively they don't have any defense hmm. they're all offensively wired so when they look at something they're sizing it up whether they want to eat the thing they're calculating or if they're just going to skirt around it and not be seen be cloaked and so I think that brings a lot of it. But then also when you put in a cat in a tree with a bunch of jabbering hound dogs at the bottom, I think the cat's probably like, what in the heck are these things doing? <laughs> you know, like Just more like of a, confused. a wonder. Yeah, like, huh. You know. I'm sure you've seen it. Uh, like big toms at times will be like unimpressed. Uh, that's I've, the, seen, I've had them fall asleep. That's what I was getting that where literally like a big tom will be like, y'all are annoying. I'm unimpressed with this, and will mm-hmm. close its eyes and lay there on the branch. Yep. Fem- sometimes young females aren't quite as tolerable. No, they can be the jumpy ones, but isn't that always the case? Yeah, I can't, yeah there's a couple <laughs> metaphors there. So uh, you saw your first cat in your yep. late 20s. No, nah, that was in my mid, mid, mid early 20s. mid-20s, and then um, – and then the traction started. You're like, know. I want to, I want to do this more. Well, I, I want to get dogs. I, I want to kill one. Where were you at? It wasn't even get dogs yet. It was. I had friends that had dogs, so I just kind of got looped into hunting with everybody else. And there was a crew of us. And you know, next thing you know, you're, you're checking just, trails at yeah, three a.m. And every and we're catching a lot of cats because we had a team, you know. And and uh, so then it just starts growing on you. It just starts becoming like a needle in the vein you know you're just like holy man this is awesome you know the, the the adventure and everything you learn and then the reward of seeing the cat in the tree but but i think this was before i understood well it was certainly was the dog component because i wasn't a houndsman yet hmm. but at that time i still helped train up some dogs with friends of mine who had pups and so i'd be there and i'd kind of be gleaning what how they would go about training their pups and what we do and how we do it and staying up late on the mountain trying to get dogs gathered and you know that was a whole nother time i mean i do things way different than back then personally now yeah you're for forged in painful experiences yeah. um and then it just grows and then after a while it was like yeah i'm gonna get a hound and i got a hound and um Circus. What was your What was your first hound dog? It who Who Chase was my first hound. I Chase, yeah, the big walker. I got the yep. pleasure of meeting. Yep, 
and he was like a hard teach. I mean, it took a long time to so get him to be great. You've you know? seen my old boy Sphinx. Oh yeah. But there's some. Uh, they look very similar. They look very similar. Yeah. They're they're both. Yep. Seventy-five pound blocky walkers. Yep. White like textbook yep. walkers. You look in the dictionary at walker. Hound. Yeah, and I I think Chase was closer to ninety. Was he? Yeah. he I remember him being real big. But I didn't. Sphinx you know, is withering away. He's getting so old. And I just I just kind of kept trying hard. I had guys tell me get rid of that dog. And Where'd you get him? I got him from Scott. You did. He was gonna get rid of him the next day. Like mm. like they were going away, and I was like, I can't take them both, you know. And so I took one. The other one got sent away, and then I was like. Okay, well, I'll try my best here. So I hunted with Scott for a handful of years. Um, but a lot of it was just me, just one, me and the dog, you know, just learning. And and uh, so that taught me a ton about how that. How old was Chase when you got him? Uh, he was one and a half, I believe. So he wasn't some puppy puppy. No, and he died just shy of yeah. 16. Do you live that long? Yeah, and that was oh. four years. Four God, years that's ago. encouraging. So, well. Every tree I, I don't get, know. Every tree I get to a sphinx, I'm like, yeah. if this is it, brother, it's well, been he, a hell of a ride. So he hunted pretty hard until he was about 11. And then he retired and just kind of was a yard ornament, honestly. <laughs> I have a hard time moving dogs once they get out old. Like, we're looking at one right now. and You're beating them up. She lives in my basement. But she's a lot different than Chase because she's coming on 10 and she just – she has more hunting drive than I think probably my whole kennel. Boy, they're all a little different. Mm -hmm. The personalities inside of a hound dog, I mean, I believe there's more personality in hounds than any other breed of dog. The diversity of them. Yeah. Uh, just the express, they're so expressive with the way that they, they conduct their hunts and stuff and. I think that there's more personality and more personality displayed by hound dogs than almost any other breed. Well, they can be different, and they can be annoying. They can be they can super be annoying. Loving, and they, I got them all. I mean, this one here is a lover. So how long did you have Chase before things started to click? Mm, about three years. I mean, I was catching them. You all catch, were cutting your teeth together, though. Yeah. I mean, I was catching cats, but solo catching was, you know, shoot embarrassingly was probably like 50 60 percent whereas now if i don't catch a lion it's like it's ridiculous wow i'm just gonna keep um, my mouth shut right now but because you're so much better at this than i am well that was also i never quit like that was something i i just would not that you would ever quit a track either but i just wouldn't leave the mountain until i had it caught and i mean we did a lot together to you had a happen. you mean, had a pretty dedicated commitment. Yeah, to, to the work dog, to working with that dog. I, I totally know what you mean. Like yeah. you worked your tail off to find the track. But that the dog's me worked a lot. its tail off to get us this far. I'm gonna finish. I'm gonna help you wherever yeah. I can. We're gonna do this together. Yeah. But that with all that came the education of I don't want to go up there and help these dogs like. I, I mean, that's good, where I'm at now. You want good like, dogs. I don't help dogs. Like, I I shouldn't high, say I don't. You have don't. high standards. Yeah, I make, I make the standards. dogs figure it out. I don't go help them, even though I could speed this whole thing up. 
I make them figure it out. You're like having a hard time? Yeah. Tough shit. Yeah. And figure so, it out. But now we've just jumped decades, you know. With so, the blood? With the with the oh you're talking about your story or with I'm the talking about going from when I first started hunting with Chase to now kind of where I'm at with the dogs I'm running and stuff and my approach I had to learn the whole game like boots on the ground as a, as me as a bipedal <laughs> as a human yeah with my dog to understand like how much effort's involved you know what the dog can do that we just can't and then what I could do that the dog still could do, but I was doing it. See, you're filling in the gaps. So I was like, didn't want to pull that. I didn't want to do that anymore. And that takes a long time though to kind of get the pack to to graduate to that level. And um, I totally know you what know, you mean, man. Like, I like you're s- preaching to the choir right now. And I went through a lot of dogs when I had Chase, where I'd have them and then I'd get rid of them because you know Chase was. I knew that dog, and I knew he was solid at you that You prioritized point. him. Yeah, and then these other dogs just, they were not good. <laughs> you know, like I was getting the, oh, these dogs, these two, this rancher has these two red bones, and they've caught like 50 cats combined, and garbage. And I'd give him like a bunch of chances, and then I'd just move him down the road because I wasn't attached to him like I was this one dog. And, mm-hmm. then, and then after a while, eventually, you know, I got it another one that was phenomenal so it was, it was chase's world we were just living in it yeah and then you finally found him a good hunting partner how yep. old was he when you got your first like started to build oh, out the pack he was older i mean he was probably f- oh gosh six five or six and then i had another good dog in a in a finished town i mean at six years old, Chase was... Oh, he was finished at, like, I would say three and a half. I would call him finished, and which is a long time. A lot of guys nowadays... Define that term to me, because it's a, it's a loosely used term, and it's usually used when someone's selling a dog. And so it's not a puppy. It's a no. finished hound, which means you can buy it sight unseen and go hunting, and this thing yeah, is so supposed to catch something. Who wants to answer here? Yes, you... That is a term that guys use on, you know, it could help correlate price on a, a hunting dog. You know, if it's finished, is it started? Is it in my definition of a finished dog as a houndsman? That's when you take the dog from knowing zero and you turn it into a dog that can be put on a track, put drive track, tree and hold for hours until you get there. That's a finish. Could do dog. the do the whole the whole hold show it. start to finish. Yeah, and hold with it no help. Stay. Yeah, yeah. Um, and people buy these finished dogs, and then they call themselves houndsmen, and I don't think that's <laughs> that's not how it works. But there's also nothing wrong with that. Um, like I don't want to get demonized for saying anything like that because that's teach their own. You know, a huge yeah. part of cat hunting. There's a lot being, of different is training and just learning how my pack dynamic is like cuz I hunt five dogs by my I hunt mostly by myself. That's right. And I hunt five dogs now. So tell me about your current pack, your current style of hunting and your well, kind been, of goals and experiences today. Well, I've been breeding 
the same cross. So this dog Sam that's sitting here with us. That oh, the one that we've had to be fighting yeah. off the last. Her uncle, minutes. her uncle is actually the sire. Um, to all my pups. So I have the the female, and she has got some trig in her, which is a running dog, but she's a walker. And then I bred her to a 50-50 Walker Leopard Cur cross. Mm-hmm. And these are all proven dogs that I've hunted with. Tell me like, what a Leopard Cur is. Well, from my, I mean, they're an all-around hunting dog. They're not just like a, they're not like a treeing dog. They're a, they can herd, they can, they can run pigs. They That's can what I was going to say. I can picture them like. Um, they could bird hunt. Like they can. Some pigs. A lot of times they can be a real like uh, loyal one-on-one type dog. At least from what I've gathered, but um, so I've crossed that. But the reason I did that is because I've hunted with all the blood from the purebred leopards all the way to the back to the purebred walker dogs. And you wanted something in between. Well, I just was wanting to bring kind of the, the all the attributes to one place. That's the goal, right? Like I want because the best. When you have a pack, you want them to hunt like a well-oiled machine, you know. You don't want to have like parts breaking off halfway through the race. You still catch it, but you're like, you're collecting. It got sloppy. Yeah. yeah. Like I like it to be pumping on all cylinders. And they know each other and they can, they can uh, trust each other or interpret each other correctly. So I had, I've had the purebred leopard blood and hunted him with my purebred Walker blood. And I didn't, and this was bef- this is before I I know a lot more now. I understand it a lot better. But this was That's kinda how life goes. I was wa- yeah. I was watching everything unfold and it just I, it was hard for me to swallow because what that leopard was that leopard cur dog was doing she athletic wise she was incredible. But she would let the trailing dogs do all the work. And then when it got hot, she superheroed it and would just catch him by herself at the end all the time. And I was like, she knew what she was good at. Yeah. Well, she was smart. So it was driving me nuts, you know, and I, it made me mad. And I didn't like that whole. But isn't that also part of like the pack? It is. Dynamic. It and is. Use but, each other for different things. But I whittled that or I molded that into where it works like a tight, well-oiled machine because I ended up crossbreeding to get kind of one congealed unit that had just the right mix. Want a little more fire in yeah, your Yeah, I didn't have one purebred this and one purebred that. I had I had this same bloodline hunting very similarly with, you know, because I try to breed, and again, I'm not a professional breeder or anything by any means. I just know what I like in a hunting dog, and I like intelligence, number one. Dogs have to be smart. Then I want Common sense. beyond that smart yeah i got you yeah like thinkers Mm -hmm. you know like problem solvers you know that make that makes a lot of sense gotta have that i run tons of bobcats that's actually what i'd rather chase yeah we're gonna talk about that so you gotta have smart dogs and then i want them to be extremely agile and fast you know kind of one in the same so different dogs are fast and agile in different situations they can be yeah but, but your prefer your dogs are not terribly big. 
what are no. these 40 50 pound dogs 45 pounders yeah. on average yeah i mean some of them are 52 some of them are 41 and they're not terribly long leg it's kind of just a middle of the road hound just a, they're built for speed. anatomically yeah and then the third trait is resilience and that comes with that weight so the lighter weight dogs can hunt day in and day out tough much, feet much better again it goes back to the body weight so the the beating down on the feet because their body weight's heavier plus their joints so that wears on the dog intelligence resilience agility and resilience yeah and agility because you got to be able to yeah you got it it's a pretty athletic sport especially once especially it gets when jumped. you start catching bobcats lions you can catch a lion with a dog going all right let's talk about bobcats this is a sore subject for me because <laughs> i'm so bad at it yeah. but it's okay i uh well i'm comfortable admitting you could ask where i started with it too and i look first off in any hunting if people don't embrace failure you're never you're never gonna get better like and you know bow hunting we we really beat this down you know failure failure hound hunting is literally the same thing Hmm. um you know all of us that have started you know from scratch and Fortunately, I had a mentor, but you know, you're still out there learning and doing it yourself. It's not like these, you're, you're, you don't want your hand held the whole time. You want to go learn, right? you know? So there's a lot of shortcomings and failures, but that's how you learn too. And the dog is the same way They're When they fail, you know, they're learning too. And I think a, one thing guys got to remember is as long as that dog's got its nose in the track, it's learning. It's Even hunting. if you're not catching it. It's hunting and learning. Yeah. Us as humans, it's trying. we want to catch everything, you know, because especially when you got a good pack of dogs and you hold a high standard, you know, you're like, we're going to catch this thing. Whereas, you know, something that's come to me in more recent years. A couple hours of good hunting. Yes. I don't give a shit if I catch it or not. Like, that's those right. dogs were working. That's right. And that more, that's been more of a recent thing put in my mind that, is hmm. stuck is that's a good perspective is, uh if i don't have a track to run meaning a catchable track go run the four-day-old track yeah you know just let them hunt it you know and granted that means i gotta hike up there and i gotta go and see you just never know they could go over that ridge and that's they could jump it off of a dead cow elk it had killed and you're like holy moly and those dogs just pushed a four-day-old track you know so if you're listening and the difference between bobcat catching a bobcat and catching a lion is, is, is foreign to you. Understand that it is it is night and day. Um, yeah, way harder. Way harder. And just in a nutshell, I would say lions travel in fairly straight lines. And when your dogs catch up to them, there will often be one, maybe two jump races where the cat tries to shake it off its trail. But mountain lions are not—they're mar- not marathon runners. It may go right up. I've had it might, go right, go, might not, might not even be a right yeah, up. might not even be a jump race. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think textbook. My experience has been textbook. It's like we're tracking, we're tracking. We're dogs pick up speed, barking increases, and then there's usually a big sharp fish hook turn, and a hundred yards later, boom, there's your mountain lion. Mm-hmm. That's textbook catch. Bobcats are the spawn of Satan <laughs> and have witchcraft and dark magic and will do all this crazy shit for your dogs to not catch them, including but not limited to uh, letting your dogs run past it yep. 
and then running a backtrack. The, like the bobcat will literally let your dog go buzzing by. It will jump on your dog's track and run towards you. Yeah. It will circle your dogs. It will go up and down multiple trees to where it's very hard to locate. On top of all that, it weighs a tenth of of the weight of a mountain lion, you know, a fifth of the weight of a mountain lion, a fifth of the scent, a fifth of uh, the track. It's yeah, and they love to run rims and blowdowns. Yep, and, and they're yeah, they're agile they on they're, the rocks. They're not putting tracks in the snow. If they can run on top of the blowdown, they'll do that. You know, and so that's just, just that one thing right there is a big hurdle for a hound because a lot of times a hound's looking for a lion track on the ground and lions will run on on down timber and stuff too but going through the match like sticks a, nothing like a bobcat plus a bobcat when they get into a wall or something they know every route in that wall and they know how to use that wall to their advantage and they God. know they know the holes and they know the leaners to cross chasms and they just know how to lose stuff, you know, and I think that they they want to shake those dogs off their tail way more than a mountain lion does. Mountain lion's like, yeah. what the heck is that? That's kind of annoying. I think a bobcat. I'll just climb up a tree and let, let this pass. A bobcat has a few different traits than a mountain lion that make it much more difficult. One is it's super brazen. So What do you mean by that? It'll play the dogs against themselves, so it'll let the dogs get like let's say the bobcat knows that it's got a lot of heat on it and so it gets itself into a mat matchstick blowdown yard it goes yards to a, up goes to a hell hole and it starts running in the blowdown in circles on purpose just laying down scent nuts. everywhere yep and then it'll jump up in a tree on the side and it'll sit there and let them dogs and it'll literally just be laughing at these dogs letting them just foil out that's what i'm saying man the whole time and then that cat will go eh this is a good time and it'll back door and exit right on the track that it ran in on and if you don't have really smart dogs that understand that you're lost every time and twice on sunday and when you get there you can't hardly figure it out it's, it's, a, it's such out. a mess yeah and so you know understandingly you, you, You've witnessed this. Oh, I I wouldn't I wouldn't be telling you if I haven't seen it. Well, I, I'm <laughs> I've watched. Saying, I'm, I'm saying like you haven't just interpreted it no. later. I know I've seen no. some of your videos where the bobcat is literally perched on a cliff and your dogs are working below it, and the bobcat is just like. Ha, 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 well, one ha, time, ha. so when I first started catching them with dogs, and again I I didn't ever start catching bobcats right away. Matter of fact, when we were younger, you know like let's go back 20 years when I was first starting, I didn't own the dogs yet. We wouldn't even run a bobcat. Like, because it was impossible. Because it was a guaranteed yeah. headache. Well, it was impossible to catch. Then, uh, you, what people it's don't understand. It's hard for me too, to argue with that. What people don't understand either is a lot of guys just, there's nothing they want more. They're so hungry to tree a mountain lion. They don't want to go and beat their dogs up on a bobcat race that they know the percentage of the catch is like. They got tunnel 3%. vision on a big cougar. Yeah, they just can't bring themselves to run these bobcats because it just beats the crap out of your dogs. It does. And it did to me, too. And then you're out. Then you can't even run. And this was my old dogs. My, these dogs are very resilient. They'll hunt every day. But that's a big part of how I can kind of teach them is if I can hunt every day, and, and, you know, not catch a bobcat and go back and try it again and not catch. And 
but they're hunting every day. So what's that mean? They're learning. They're getting better every they're day. They're learning. Mm -hmm. They're learning all the tricks. And bobcats, what I've found, is they have a certain arsenal of tricks that are in their DNA. And that dog learns it. It learns their tricks. The, the, bag, the bag of tricks. Yeah. And I've watched my it. dogs cut these cats off many times. Like, I know what you're about to do, you little mm -hmm. shapeshifter. Yep. And they'll catch them because they'll, they'll, they'll anticipate what the cat's going to do. And the dog will do it before it can do that. And then now when you have a well-oiled machine, that's like I got this running dog right beautiful. now that's super young, that's kicking butt. And she... What's her name, Bebe? Griffy. Griffy. Griffy? Bebe is my Bebe is the other one. Yeah. Griffy is the one that's... She's uh, coming on 16 months. That white one. Yeah. Um, and I haven't gotten to hunt her as hard because I got her young last year. And I don't like to hunt dogs till they're six months old. Hmm. So I started. What's, what's your logic there? Uh, well, it's about maturity. They become like a me too dog. They're like you don't know what the uh, hell's going on. It has on. to do with maturity and grasping. You know, it's kind of like a little kid. Like, when they go to play with something, they don't play with it real long because they don't have that intention span. You like know, you're not ready for this. Yeah, and so as they mature, they have more retention. They can like learn and retain it. So six months is kind of where I, that's my personal, I know a lot of guys start dragging or I don't do nothing. Huh. I don't do anything. If you want to bark at a squirrel or chase a mouse up to six months, be a, if be you, a even puppy. if you want to bark at, bark at some deer, I don't care. Just be a puppy. don't chase, be a puppy. But when you get to six months, it's game time. And I also, I do not do any drags. I don't do anything other than the real deal. I start every puppy Hunting. on a bobcat. Oh. I don't even start them on lion. I don't hunt them on lions. Just born, Just born into the hellfire. But we got to circle back to. Okay, so your dog, the the young dog you have now, uh, her it'll, style. It'll cast and she's help just catch different. These bobcats. She's flanks. So when we get a jump bobcat, all you know, again, I have all the same blood relatively, with the exception of this one Griffey dog who's a running walker, not a treeing walker. She's got running blood, which is a prey-driven hound. And when I get a jump bobcat, I almost feel like it's a visual, but I'll watch her just nitroburst, and instead of running up its butt, she puts a flank on it, almost like she wants to come in from the side and wipe it out. Boy, you see uh, packs of, of wolves do yeah. that, right? so she is – she has been actually making us look good as a pack because I've got good bobcat catching dogs. And she shortcuts it. She's shortcutting them. And so all that heat that these older dogs are putting on that bobcat, Griffey's over here in the, you know, looming in the edge. And when that bobcat goes to make a twist, she comes firing out of nowhere. <laughs> and it's like SEAL Team 6 out there. Like yeah. everybody's got a different role here. Yeah, and that's the well-oiled machine aspect of it. But, I mean, we got to jump back to where it all began with Chase and Bobcat. It's like I failed and failed and failed. And I learned that, like, these suckers are so difficult. So what I started to do, you know, I'm giving some tips out. of It doesn't matter anymore. I'll run them wherever. But <laughs> I would find areas where you I pick could. Pick your battles. I would pick my battles of where I could catch them. So when not, I had not a track, to run them straight into a rock wall with yeah, a bunch of holes. Yeah, I would try to catch the bobcat leaving the ugly zone 
mm-hmm. and get them out away where I knew they really had no rock piles. Like to get we away. can make some ground on you right now. Well, they had nowhere to really go mess with me. Yeah. And so I, that's how I trained my first good catching dogs on Bobcat was down in that ground where they didn't have the four foot tinsel stick blowdown. They didn't have the big walls. They, didn't they moved have into rock. a sagebrush f- flat or it something. It wasn't even say it would be like a juniper rolling hills okay. or like a creek bottom or like a thick that creek bottom that's coming out off the mountain yep and the track's only going down it's and i've ran straight forward and i'm like i know this thing's below me boxed it in so that's how i would originally start catching them with the dogs and the bobcats still throw the loops and the back tracks all the same way they just can't they their brazenness they have nowhere to really go and catch a breath you know and so you get the heat on them, and all of a sudden them dogs learn, like, these loops and these backtracks. And, you know, and nowadays, I mean, I'm not afraid to run them in just the biggest nasty country. Now, they will school us. They will do it. Oh. But, but I, it's crazy how sometimes they'll actually catch one in a wall that's, you know, 150 feet high. I had this happen last year. I ran one last year for five hours. It, it threw eight I think it was eight because I took a picture of it. I was shocked. It threw eight big loops on it on me, and some of those loops were double loops, Ugh. like like going twice. And then the dogs would be fouled up for a while, and then one of the dogs would find an out, and then they'd go and it would do it again. Start over again. And this was five hours of this. And Is this, this like cat, a square mile, this, smaller. It's probably a mile and a half in okay. this particular cat, so not a great big area. Well, the cat kept getting closer and closer to these monster walls. I mean, like uncatchable walls, you know. And I'm like, game, I know game over walls. I know this cat's going to these walls. And what you mean straight. by that is is a, a huge rock face that the bobcat could can just get in, pounce up. Yeah. The dogs can't could, see it, could, can't could smell never. it, can't could, It's just gone. It. It's just the end. Yeah, it's just the end of the road. So that's what this cat did, and it made it to these walls. Well. The dogs were sailing down the base of the wall, and the cat was just running it. And it went all the way down. This wall was probably 300 feet long. And it shot out the end of the wall, and it left the wall. And I thought, oh, we may catch this thing. Hmm. So it runs all the way out there, and dogs start coming back. Cat runs on top of the wall. Dogs are chasing it. Cat drops down, comes under the wall again. Like, these are big. This is a huge wall. Ugh. And I'm like, all it's got to do is go in the wall. And, like. It's it's, it's free. And it's free. It, like, I won't be able home to see free. it. home free. Yeah, home safe. Dogs will maybe bay on it, and I'll consider that a good job good job well done. But, you know. Walk away The cat me. would get away or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, it did it again. It did the same thing, except this time it made a tighter hook on the end of the cliff. And it went straight back to the top. Well, the dogs banked that hook pretty hard and treed. And I'm like. Did we really catch it? I get up there. It's about 20 feet from the edge of this 80-foot drop. They're nice. in the tree. Nice. So it didn't go to the wall. <laughs> and, you know, you wouldn't know that unless you just kept trying, kept hunting. You can't psych yourself out and be like, it's going into those cliffs. We'll never catch it. You just can't. Like you ain't going to catch it with that attitude. Yeah, you're not going to catch sure. it if you don't try. And, but, uh, again, you got now you got to go back and go, what kind of dog, what are my feet, how, how much do my dogs weigh? Are my feet going to be torn to pieces because of this run today? Can Just I hunt tell me? The next tell me about day? dog uh, feet, because I I have tough feet and soft feet in my pack. Well, 
first off, a lot of people think, and there is some merit to it, but you want black feet. You know, that's just that's the rule of thumb. Rule of thumb, but that's not necessarily really. True. No, no, because um, I've seen dogs with light feet that actually are tough. You the know? general, but in general, opinion would be a pink padded hound has soft feet softer and yeah. he's gonna get crippled up after a day of running through ice and cliffs and a black footed pad hound yeah, I mean, is gonna be tougher i even look too for the darker feet because that is kind of a but you're saying that's a, that's a little bit more that's just just a, uh urban legend i i think it's just more of a circulated philosophy that people just take as gospel and it's not necessarily yeah. fact interesting um because i've seen good really good resilient dogs that are their their feet are like you know marbled they're not all black right i even have some out in the kennel there and yeah where i think the most important thing on resilience comes is just how they carry themselves and they're how heavy they are so you keep going you keep going back to that the weight is a huge, huge thing deal yeah because the difference between being 40 pounds and 80 pounds so is monumental take sphinx running through the blowdown and take my Griffey dog, or even Sam, they'll f skate through there like it's not even there. Sphinx will fall, and it's probably like, s he'll probably. It's the featherweight and the heavyweight. Yeah, the like they're just, just two the different athletes. So when you're slipping, like let's say you're in a in a ledge or a wall or something, and you're slipping and doing everything you can to hold your feet because you're carrying twice the body weight, you're beating your feet up probably not even double, but probably quadruple yeah it's just a lot harder on it them. probably multiplies out yeah and so that's just back to why and i hunt backcountry a lot so i like i hunt five dogs on average i need to have lighter dogs because i trailer them tell everywhere. me tell me about your rig your snowmobile and your trailer or your pull behind my, kennel i'm kind of on generation like six now but think i've got it figured yeah, out it's a, it's a piece of art yeah <laughs> it's an awful so i put all of them in one kennel um they all get along fine i mean i don't need to separate at this point i hunt all females but um no, i just got an aluminum uh tow behind trailer that i had made uh it it's sits, very nice it sits mm, i'm gonna get the, the next one i'm building you should patent this higher. thing shoot we got to get to the final the final final <laughs> but I think we're right about there. So what I finally did is I hybrided this one. I spent a bunch of money last year actually to build a really nice aluminum kennel, all aluminum box, all the lightweight. It's not cheap. No, thousands. And that was just with a buddy deal, you know, it was just but aluminum was expensive. But anyways, what I ended up doing or concluded is I want a super burly um raised tow behind trailer. And I recycle the skis off of my snowmobile. So as soon as I wear them out, I'll pull the carbides off, which they're usually torn off by then. Yep. And I'll just cycle them right back to the kennel. Hmm. So I, I'm getting double usage out of those skis. Trash trash rock skis. Yeah, go go to the back. Yeah. Because that doesn't matter. Well, you know? break they still slide. That's right. You know, and if there's snow flying out the holes or whatever, that don't matter. But it's not the engine. No, and you don't need it. carbides on them. Really? Because they track with your your yours the sled in front is steering. Yeah, it's making this thing's steel. just following. So that's how I run the skis. I have a little bit of a ground clearance. I'm gonna make a tiny bit more. It seems yeah, it seems high. I'm making it about two inches higher. On so the it's this. Side. If you picture this, it's this silver box on two skis with a fixed 
hitch with fixed. a fixed doesn't move it's so it's the a solid move. anchor point skis move but it's tied into the back is and it that a tundra? keeps the dogs yeah the 550 tundras that keeps the dogs from having a rough ride if oh is that right yeah when the skis can move the box stays level see i have uh i've used rolled, to roll, I, I, I used I to pulled, roll the otter sled I, that's what i have now you know yeah. and it uh, works yeah, it does work. I can get them from A to B. When you turn, though, it flips. Yep, I've dumped them over a couple times, and it just breaks my heart. I feel real bad. But now here's where we're at. I think we're at the final final is I love the actual trailer system I have with the skis and everything. I'm going to raise my clearance about two inches, so that's going to give me about – I think we've got like seven inches of clearance off off the ground, maybe eight. Does that help in like deep and deep snow? Your the front of the box isn't. Yeah, well, the box actually will still it hit the snow, but I put a skid plate on it. Very nice. That's got it's actually an old truck bed. <laughs> you know those riveted truck beds. It's kind of got some grooves. Yeah, I riveted it on there so that when you get in the deeper snow, it pushes it up. Pick it right up on top. It's beautiful. But the now the key is, uh, I found this particular plastic kennel that's super burly, but it only weighs seventeen and a half pounds. Versus most of the burly kennels, like the Rufflins and the Gunners and, gosh, what's some of the other ones? Oh, um, those pretty heavy. Yeah, they're like 70 pounds. Wow. And they're plastic. This yeah, one's 17 a and a half. Yeah. So now I slide this 17 and a half pound kennel onto this really nice aluminum burly trailer with a sweet base. Deck. like. Yep. And then I build this cage right around the kennel. All the way to where I have an inch clearance on the top of the kennel and, a, and an aluminum grating. So now I can this put like a, a whole roll, lion. Like a roll cage on it or something. Yeah, so I can put a full lion on top of it. And it might flex that aluminum cage an inch down to the top of the plastic kennel. But huh. it doesn't put 140 pounds directly on, on the, the kennel on the and box, pop yeah. the clam kennel out. Because it is a bolted kennel like most of them are made. Yeah. You know how they make You push you push on it hard enough the sides pop, are going to go yeah. out. And that's where your side rails hold that clam. Huh. See. So now when you break if you ever needed a kennel for a hotel room or whatever, it just it's a plug and play. You just slide it right out, take it into the hotel room, hmm. use it next morning, slide it back in. Yeah, and I'm not there yet. I, my current kennel is not finished the way I just explained, but that's the plan. I have it drawn up and you know, there's always something to. Play you also, what else have you done with uh with your your snowshoes and your saw, and you got it. Yeah, I got like a, out. I use the uh, action packer fits perfectly in the. What is that? An action packer is like a heavy duty plastic, kind of a cargo container. Like a tote. Yeah, it's a tote, yeah. but it's heavy duty. It's like they they basically advertise know, that it's like indestructible. Yeah, you know? yeah. And I put one of them in, and it fits perfectly in my basket. But then I have a permanent fixed set of snowshoes on the very back that are never in the way. They just are fixated to the sled. Boy, I wish I had some of those today. It's the first time in my life I've ever said that. Yeah. It's deep this year. Oh. So I'll put those there. And then uh, I got my chainsaw, little electric chainsaw inside of there, tow ropes, zip ties, tie wire. You ever come along? Come along. Uh, you got you Tow ropes. Yeah, I got everything. You're your own setup. I feel like I got my truck set up like that, but not my snowmobile set up quite yet. Yeah, well, I've just had – you don't ever want to have to use a come-along, but I'm always out there by myself, and I've had – I can think of two times 
I had to have it come along or I would have been snowshoeing out of there. Was one of them recently when I ran into you a couple weeks ago? No, that that wasn't – I didn't even have the come along that day. You were in rough shape. That was bad, yeah. But that was a different scenario. We passed each other on snowmobiles, and I was like, yo, I thought that was your truck down there. Uh, And you you looked a little beat up and defeated. Well, that was basically – it's where poor decision-making and overconfidence (laughs) met because I went – We used to have a bad habit of doing that as houndsmen. Yeah. No, I liked hunting that area, and I've hunted it for years, but, but I've no never gone that pun- high. And no one had punched in the trail before you? Or? No one had ever done it before, I think, ever. <laughs> it was, well, it's a, yeah, it's an old logging road. No, Somebody, it was a switchback single track. Oh, is that right? In in like a cow's face. And you were like, I'll and take my, my tundra my up here. Well, I came down it. Oh, you did? Okay. No way you could go up it. Impossible. So I was thinking I was going to punch the loop. Cause it's a logging road that goes high mm-hmm. and then you drop oh three quarter mile on a switchback back down so that puts a loop in yeah you know because loops are obviously nice <laughs> what we try to do yeah. um so i committed and once i committed there was zero turn or there you couldn't go back i mean the snow was so deep and, and got, you ultimately started slipping off well i got halfway down and i had to cross a chute that oh. the single track trail had to go through but the snow was so deep, I visually wasn't prepared for what was about to happen. Like, I just couldn't understand it. And as I was going through, the whole thing went. And I lost the back end of the sled, and it uh. took me down off the trail. So now the sled's sitting nose, uphill, nose up. but it's all blow down below me. Are you jackknife with your kennel at this point? or? Oh, I can't. There's no way I could tow the kennel. Like, I drop. I leave the dogs Oh, a lot. you do? Yeah, okay. I unhook a lot. You very yeah. good you get to like a rendezvous point yep. dump the kennel and then, and then you I can move a lot quicker and i run back and grab them. i do the same things yeah. sometimes you just never can tow there so i'll i'll road them there or i'll put the two old dogs on my lap and i'll make the young ones blow the steam off you know i, try I do to the same thing yeah the good the good ones are but real calculated yeah, that switch back was more of a once i got in that situation i had to think through okay if i make if i get too you know aggressive with this and i lose it i'm in the blowdown and not getting out of here like i'm snowshoeing out and i'm gonna have to come back in and i'm gonna have to bring come along which i normally always carry and that day they, it wasn't in there i had it i had it in my garage i had to use it to hang something and so yeah. i pulled it out and oh no so I, that freaked me out if i had that i wouldn't have been quite as worried because you you wouldn't have lost it you know well, what did, what did you end up doing to get out of there? So I ended up shoveling, because I always carry a shovel too. I left that out. Little, so like, do you, you, to shovel. paint the picture, your your sled has. I was on a off, single track on a super steep side hill. You slid off you, to I the left. Lost the trail. Yep, my back end dropped. Your butt, the butt of the sled drops. Yep. To where any gas up. only loses you more mm-hmm. down the hill. You are not getting up given the. Angle. It's when you want to like kill the yep. engine and like. And get a tie down strap yeah. out and the front end you know it had to be calculated because i was about to roll so what i had to do is i tied the sled off to where it wouldn't roll and then i dug a platform and i cut a couple trees down <laughs> i laid the trees in there as like a like a uh, traction board well kind of like how you'd pour concrete and you got your you know, you got your pig wire in there or whatever, and 
So I built infrastructure. I built infrastructure. Yeah. And I and I made a platform on top of these trees. Makes sense. And then I once I did that, I got on the underside of the sled and I I had it where I could quick untie. I had like a a quick loop. Yeah. Could just pop it off. Well, as soon as I did that, the sled wants to roll, but I was on the downhill side with everything I had into it. Pushing against to it. To hold it from rolling. And I was just edging the front end down onto that platform. And once I got it onto the platform, I just I made sure I got the sled just level as I could. And then I went forward and backward like four or five times, like in like a three-foot area to get it nice and That's tight. right. That's right, yeah. And then I walked my uphill ski. I walked it to where I wanted it to go. So I have a line to shoot. You're aiming it. Yeah. And then I just hammered it. <laughs> see if I could get out. Spinned it. And I got out. It jumped. But then out I got there. stuck again after that. Not quite as bad, but you know it's just kind of a struggle, and I it won't do that feeling. again. I'm not going to do that trail again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> after you told me that story, and I ran into you that day, I was like, well, put that on my list of places to never go on my snowmobile. Yeah. Well, and again, I hadn't been down that trail in the snow, and uh, everything looks different when there's three and a half feet. Yeah, it turn, snow, you know? turns out it, it does, yeah. So it was just kind of a bad, it was an ambitious decision that got me in trouble. How? That was probably, what would have that been, six or seven air miles back to the truck? From oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's air miles. And if you oh, yeah. walk, you're going to probably want to walk the road. Oh, well, I would have saved you. Yeah, you would have. I would have. Well, if I, unless I was still on the mountain up there. Yeah, you'd past, have seen the, my dog, past the though. junction. <laughs> you'd have seen my dog sitting on the road. I'd have gotten them back to the trailhead. Yeah. Then I would have been panicking because I've had that happen before, too, from some tree huggers. Grabbing, Gra- my grabbing dog your dogs. Not not your kennel, but loose dogs. Loose dogs. Loose dogs. Down to the hikers find them, yeah. and they're like, take hey, you wa- you're watching it on the GPS. Your dog's mm-hmm. just like, tick, tick, tick. And then all yep. of a sudden on a road, tick, 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 tick. You're somebody like, somebody took grabbed one of my dogs this dog. One time and, and this was like maybe a month after I had a dog stolen. So tell me about that. Who stole a dog? Why? Where? How? Well, like the Walmart I used parking to lot? Live, I used to live at the base of a really catty canyon that I've, I caught tons and tons of cats. Raised a lot of dogs in there. And uh, my old dog got out with a pup. She was a finished dog, but like I call her a pup. She was three. Mm-hmm. And they took off for a couple days, and they had no collars. And this was in the winter. I mean, it was hunting time. And uh, so I'm thinking, you know, like usual, I'll, I called the ranchers around, told them what's going on. And Got some missing hound dogs. Yeah, and I mean, normally they'd come back, actually, because I lived in a creek where they could use You're going to get hungry at some point. Yeah, and they didn't. And I was driving that road, and um, I seen where this was on the second day. Do you ever leave a kennel or, like, your jacket at a trailhead? You heard, you know about this? Yeah, but I didn't in that case because I figured they'd come to my house. You Because know, you were so left. close, yeah. Yeah, it wasn't where I turned them out or anything. Got it. Like, I thought they'd come back. Come they home. left the home turf. Yeah. They come back to the home turf. And so probably three miles from my house up on this particular corner where the cats like to cross a lot and i've parked a lot and unloaded dogs there a lot and it's just like a familiar place for the dogs i could see bloody big tracks from my big male at the time and then uh he had bloody feet yeah 
and then I could see tracks from my other dog as well. And I'm thinking, okay, but at the same time, I could see where a car had pulled over, a car, not a pickup, and the a dog, Tesla. the dog tracks, near as I could tell, got in the car, and this is on a blind corner. The car turned around in the blind corner, and then exited the canyon. No more dog tracks. And then that night, I got a call down lower in the canyon that they had chase my older dog but this younger three-year-old and that was a purebred leopard cur actually was nowhere to ever be seen again ever and that's just the writing that i saw in the snow that was just a deduction somebody, somebody just covered. grabbed her yeah whoa yeah that's sad and i mean i had flyers i called vets for 250 miles i mean and i didn't ever chipped which was a big regret do you have your dogs chipped now yeah, they're all chipped. I don't have any of my dogs chipped. Yeah, I chip them all when I have litters and stuff. Interesting. But this dog, I didn't know if I was going to keep her. Yeah. And, you know, I chip my own now, but back then, you know, to go get a dog chipped, I mean, I don't even know what it actually fully Yeah, it's a, I, I don't know either, but I, I assume it's an expense. It's of, not super bad. I mean, again, when I do it myself, I mean, I order them in bulk, and so I'm doing it on the puppies. That's hardcore. Yeah. I've stapled dogs and given some rabies shots, but I've never oh, put a shit. microchip in anything. Oh, I do the dew claws. No I do the whole thing. Oh, yeah. What's your theory on dew claws? Like them? I've had both. Um, I, some guys like them a lot, and some guys don't. And I just take them off because I've had them get hung up torn. and broke off and stuff. Yeah, yeah and a nasty a nasty um, injury if they tear. Yep, and they can get infected. And that was always my understanding was like sporting dogs – they're going to be active and possibly going to tear that dew claw. Let's just Some snip them off. people like them, though. Yeah. And then the vet I told me it has a lot, like, uh, their balance and dexterity hmm. uh, is lost if you snip that off. Okay, well, I haven't quite seen that in my dogs, but, and I. I, I got half and half. I take them all off. Yeah. At, you know, at two days old. You, uh, you raise enough dogs, you become a veterinarian at some it saves point saves you a lot of money i mean well you can't yeah you you have to i mean yeah well, well, i'm a blue like, collar guy i i need to yeah i can't take i mean on a lot of to do everything that's another thing too with this intelligence these dogs i've got let's just knock on wood but i i mean i can hardly two or three times i've had to stitch dogs in the last 10 years you don't staple them no but I don't, I don't have a stapler on me anymore, but I've had a stapler. Yep. And I've used that. And I, I my older dogs long ago, they'd get tore up like crazy when I'd catch cats in the caves and stuff. Yeah. These dogs, man, I've had. They're not fighters? No, they're smart, self-preservers. Yeah, they stay back. You know. I, I love Sphinx, and I believe he's a world-class hunting dog, and I bet my bottom dollar on him every time. He's my boy. But he will. He has a a bloodlust. He has a yeah. If he can like fight a cat, he's gonna get in there and wants a mouthful of it. Yeah. And that's These gotten him won't. tore up a couple yeah. times. I mean, the only time I had to stitch her once, but that was because I had a cat caught in a grotto, and I had there was a lot of space. What's a grotto? It's like a little undercut on a rock wall where mm. it's kind of dry in there, but it's not a cave, but it's not. It's like a little enclave. 
like a little dry area. Yeah, yeah, kind yeah. Of a little hang, overhang. Overhang, yeah. And it was a pretty big area, and the lion was in there. And I had dogs on all sides. So the cats can get quite brave when the cat's back is to them. So they're, like, in there, and that cat just spun around and just barely nicked her. And uh, it was just a little cut. wasn't much. But I stitch all my dogs with no anesthetic or anything. I just – they know you're helping be them. like – I understand this yeah. hurts, and you might try to bite me right now. Yeah, but we're I gonna go we're gonna get there. through it together. Yep, I clean it out and just stitch them, and so there I you go. I've carried a staple gun for a couple of years now, and a couple times, real glad I had it. I very effectively used the staple gun. I also found myself guilty of just like any like if there was a puncture wound or. Oh, maybe overusing my staple. I got too comfortable with the staple gun. I was yeah. just like, ta, 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 ta. a lot of times it's better if the wounds aren't too big. And this is me being like amateur vet hour, but I'll 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 just make. It's sure not that, even amateur though. I'll just make sure that the wound is clean when I get home, but I won't stitch it. I'll leave it open. This is a small wound. This is like an inch long, or you know, just a nicks or let whatever. it let it drain. Just let it drain and heal. And dogs, man especially young dogs, they unbelievable healing. Like, just unbelievable, you know. I'd say the biggest reason why I wouldn't mind having a staple gun again is nothing to do with the lion. It's it's falling in trees and impaling themselves and stuff. Punct- that's where I've had big s- punctures. Or tears. I've tear had, that's some, the of the worst, some of the, the worst groin. wounds I've seen are falling on stobs, like broken twigs on the, on the trees. And just a triangular... Just cuts them five inches, five inches. Also, you have a flat, yeah, for flap. That's this the worst huge area for that. infection. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yep. I've had to uh, doctor them a couple times, and seems like some dogs need it more than others, and they're more brazen than others. Tell me about your bobcat season this year. So you, you Good. correct me if I'm wrong. You, you focus on bobcats. Early, yeah. December, just Jan- yeah. Just when the season's open, I try to just target those. Mm-hmm. But again, it's like I just want to have the best dogs I can have, and I just think the bobcat is what makes the best dogs. It's hard to argue with it. You want a good lion hound, force your dog to try to catch bobcats, and I do it all the time, unsuccessfully. But it it has been a educational thing. You probably have a few hurdles to overcome in, in this. It's not that you're not trying hard enough, finding the tracks. It's not that yeah, the dogs the damn won't Bob, run them. The damn Bobcat's here. Yeah. It's – it's a lot of it comes down to the build of the dog, the intelligence of the dog. Look, I'm not saying Sphinx or – let's just talk broadly. I find that treeing hounds just don't have the, the intelligent capacity – of some of these other crosses and um and man i i might be just getting completely lambasted over saying that but i'm just saying from my own personal experience hunting with lots of hounds having hounds myself treeing hounds trailing hounds these dogs are goal oriented on running 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 treed and i know for a fact that there's some awesome running hound dogs out there that are extremely intelligent but that comes with very keen breeding blood like understanding I mean, guys that are taking this to the next level of breeding science, like that's you got to have smart, smart dogs. You got to have really, really agile dogs, fast dogs. 
some guys like i one of the i only hunt with one or two guys around here and um they just there's nothing they want more than a quiet dog mm-hmm. for bobcat and they do well and tell um, me tell me why that would be advantageous well because a bobcat's a crafty son of a gun so when they hear you coming From they start throwing down all the confusion whereas you know these quiet trailing dogs they don't make a single peep until it's jumped so the heat is on literally like that cat doesn't you have didn't give the bobcat a chance to go do his sorcery out there now with me i have a pack that's fairly noisy like but you still but i enjoy that see that's what i enjoy about hound hunting is i like listening to the dogs and interpreting like what they're saying like i do too how they're talking to each other um if we're on a jump if we're at a loss um if we're if we're out of catch if we're out of bay um if if they see the cat and then now they don't see it i mean you learn their that, language you learn their language yeah and so i really like that i really enjoy that i mean i've hunt i hunt with these guys that hunt these quiet dogs we've caught bobcat together almost like something's missing though i catch bobcats by myself all the time with noisy dogs i don't go hunt with them without my dogs there so i can only go off of what i watch but i'll see where their dogs will sneak away from a loss quiet and go and start making stuff happen and i'm sitting there like well this ain't no fun for me they're my dogs (laughs) because you know they're but you see where how advantageous it is. It's just this fine line of like, what you do you really want? You out didn't of give him a heads up. Yeah, yeah. Like, and again, I. It's not that that dog owes the pack anything. That's just her style or that that dog's style. Um, but going back, it's like I think it's in my blood to just. I love the the sound of the hound. I just absolutely love, I love like the whole hound hunting. I had a I had a young man join me this morning on a race and he had never hunted cats before and when they all took off when they all hit the track all four of them hit the track and quickly scurried up the mountainside making a whole a whole bunch of noise and he goes I bet you can tell the difference between each one of those dogs <laughs> bark I was like bro not only can I tell you who's who I can tell you what what they're doing yeah and how uh yeah. invested they are how excited they are what yeah. what they're doing with the track how they're hunting it there's you just get so in tune with these dogs when you hunt yeah. with them every day so i actually have i got it all so i've got i've got real vocal dogs i've got semi-vocal dogs and i've got quiet a quiet dog and what's a perfect dog to, or maybe it's maybe there isn't such a thing there it takes a pack for me it's the pack yeah and it's the machine i think it would be quite boring to have a whole pack of dogs that are completely quiet the whole time until the jump now i agree jake who i respect a lot hell of a hunter shout out jake um he he, he prefers everything quiet until the jump and, gosh, and, and says they that are that's quiet. what he gets the thrill out of and i'm like i get that i mean i i get it but you got to jump and a catch what about the bobcat getting to throw some tricks down and having your pack come in there and like you're saying you're saying it's too easy for them i'm not saying that i'm just saying they still get it done they still get it done yeah Yeah. nothing's easy by the way it never comes like about a bob catching a bobcat but where i'm where i think my 
pack is doing well is that I kind of have it all. So I've got the dogs that are vocal and I'm getting to enjoy that side. The bobcat's getting a little bit of a, of a like inclination that something might be coming my way. Mm-hmm. But when you get into the heat where things are starting to like roll and that cat's jumped and circling and I have quiet dogs in the mix too. So they're also hunting different, you know, like they're coming out of, out of the darkness yep. and this cat didn't know it and I'm still getting them caught because the distraction is there. Like yep. one noisy dog's 30 yards. You're looking over that. here and this, yeah, and this one's over here. I, I, uh, I quickly go back to pack dynamics of, of wolves and oh, yeah. flanking, uh, prey and having a decoy mm-hmm. out and be like, yep, I want, I want the elk looking here, and then shoo, shoo, from yeah. the sides, Same thing. you're dead. It's they're dogs. It's in they're their dogs. DNA. They're canines. Yeah, and the balance is, as a houndsman, it's like if you're just getting into it, the last thing you want to do is get five young dogs and try to go out and be a hunter. Huh. You know, get one, start with one, go with a mentor, cut, get one that's catching. And then and stay and then as inter- close as yeah. you can. Yeah. And introduce a second one in there. And, you know, it's like, well, why do you hunt five dogs? You know, well, I've been hunting them, handling and hunting dogs and training dogs for 20 years. So I had to finally find like what the magic number was for me. Now we hunt in the north. Um, we do dry ground, but not not a lot. No, we're, we usually we're have mountain snow. snowy hunters. Yeah. But. I've dry grounded plenty, and I, I understand that game. I've hunted with friends dry ground. I mean, I, I know how to dry ground lion hunt. Our difference up here is we just have a – our approach is different. Like us, we're out looking for the track, not that the dog couldn't strike it or anything like that. It's we're just, not casting into the abyss. Oh, no, we're just kind of – We find a starting line. finding it, and we're sending them on their way and then letting the machine go do the rest of the work. And I just find that – you can catch a lion or a bobcat for that matter with one or two. I think it's actually probably more difficult to catch a bobcat with more dogs. Sure. Because of the confusion. Sure. Because of all the tracks get smashed and tracks get smashed out. Everyone's excited. But when they're pumping on all cylinders and they really, they really have hunted a lot of bobcats together and they know each other. Yeah. These dogs, like you said, the reference to the wolf pack, they, they're literally like trying as a team to get it accomplished like watch my six i'm gonna slide over here and get them yeah yeah and then a lot of it too is competition i mean when you hunt dogs together they're competing absolutely you know there's no doubt about it but the sweet number for me handling as a as hunting by myself most of the time is five you know um but i just love the dog part so there's a couple elements to that uh it's a revolving door Dogs don't live forever, so you know some yeah, I need to have old dogs, classes. mid dogs, yeah. mm-hmm. um, and there's also an argument to be made that you, you need to preserve, like uh, you can't burn all your dogs up today. Say I have five dogs, I have four, but I'll hunt them in twos a lot okay. because no matter what happens today, if they both get killed by a lion, I got two more that I can hunt with tomorrow. Sure. Um, I hunted all four of them together today, and it was kind of a fun, a fun deal. Um, so I let them tell me. But you're saying the resilience of your dogs—you're not real worried about that day well, to day. But the mother of all these dogs is is Walker. The one outside. Yeah, 
What's her name? Sid. Yeah, I met her. She, she uh, like three days of hard hunting, she's out for a couple of days. And mm-hmm. she'll tell me. I mean, she's like. You can see the enthusiasm just leave her. Lack of. Yeah. Like, won't even lift her head up in the morning. She's like, I'm staying home today. And when I see that with a dog, I mean, I might ask him a couple, three times, and then I'll just leave. I'll just walk away. and Don't walk. force anything. No, no. But the rest of them, for the most part, it's like they didn't even hunt the day before. That's cool. Ready to go. Soldiers. You know? And even her is almost coming on 10. She's that dog almost more than any of them young ones. She's got such a fire for hunting. Isn't that like the most painful oxymoron of it all? She's like you got you got it all figured out, and now your body's gone. Like, yeah, she can't keep up with any of my other ones, but I still hunt her, and I do hold her back, but I almost have to sneak out because she'll hear me start my truck, and like oh. she knows she wants to go, and I, I also know like how hard of a day we've had, like two in a row or something, and. You just, She's you got to call, you're the coach, you're, you're yeah. the, you're the pack leader. You got to make these calls. And I'd rather her ran with some young dogs and maybe next year if I get another pup. I mean, I seem to always have a stinking puppy every year anymore. It's like constant yeah, deal. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a hell of a drug. Some <laughs> stick around and some go on. And so it's just, this year I'm not going to have a litter. I just can't. I'm trying, I'd love to build this shop. I keep noodling on. Yeah. You're working on some cool stuff here. Yeah, I just got too many things that I need to get out of the weather, and I got to refortify some of my fencing. And so a litter this spring might be a little much for me. Plus, yeah. Sid's getting so old. She's been the, the bitch that's throwing all the pups. And, you know, my dogs aren't necessarily, like, certainly not, like, 100-year proven line of blood or anything like that. I just have hunted with all the blood from the purebred leopards yeah. to the purebred walkers to the crosswalker dog that went into the same leopard that Scott bought from the same guy I got. That could, like, I know where all the blood has come from, and I've hunted with all of it. So now I've mixed it, just like you mix up a cocktail. But you're not the only person to do Like, a lot of people do this. Uh, sure. You're like, you know what I mean? That's like, breeding. That's breeding. That's the, that's the art of breeding. Yeah, I just don't claim to be a professional breeder. I am not. I, I'm just an observer who hunts a lot. Yeah, you hunt a lot. Yeah, and I know what works. So you had a good bobcat season? Yeah, it was good. It was uh I seen some of the pictures. You got some you got some beauties. Good success. I mean I lost I uh just bring you up to speed if you're a listener. Uh I hope you already follow Tyler because he's a hell of a, a follow and great content, particularly around his dogs and cat hunting. Um but you what'd you get? Four, five, six, seven yep. bobcats? I killed five, yep. This caught, year? Yep. This caught, season, yeah? Caught, well, I could say seven, but you got to visually see them to say they're a catch. That's so. right. Yeah. A lot of guys would be like, yeah, yeah well, ran into a hole. We got it. Yeah. I don't I don't play yeah. by those so rules I, either. I did get five, yeah. And that's all we can get here in this region, and I never had a chance to break away. I wanted to take off to another state with a friend of mine, but he had something come up, and so I didn't get to pull that off. Did you sell some fur? Yep, yep. And I'd and been bobcats on, are up. Yeah, I'd been sitting on the last few years because of the market's so down. So, so you I, sold a lot. Yeah, yeah. You said market's up, prices are Well, the, it's an interesting market. They, it came up recently, and it's only for the higher-end cats. A lot of the mid- to lower-tier cats weren't 
what makes a high-end bobcat? Well, the white. So the width of that belly, the width of the white belly. So you flip that bobcat on its back. Yep. And then how defined the black and white, well, the black spot is. And then how well it melds into the brown to the back. Like if it goes white to brown really cleanly with like nice spots, that's a high dollar cat. Whereas maybe there's a more staunch line where mm-hmm. it's like white. Or, or or there's no spotting that rolls into the back. Okay. Um, that's it. And then interestingly, I just learned this this year, um, the shaggier white bellies aren't quite as valuable as the, the shorter bellies because your spots are more defined if you get the shorter hair. So that comes down to where the cats live. Like, a lot of our mountain cats, which is what I hunt. A lot of hair. They have a lot of hair. Yeah. yeah. And they're beautiful in my I mean, they're gorgeous. I mean, I'm looking at one right now. But maybe an eastern Montana cat out of, yep. the, out of the breaks or yep. out of some badlands Wyoming country. Wyoming's got some good ones. Really good. Um, but our northern cats are some of the higher tier. Yeah, that's my, my understanding yeah. of it as well. And it's so funny yeah. to me that uh, the fur market is just a funny thing to me. I don't – I'm so removed from it. Oh, it's a, but it's like, is this some like, it's a racket. F- is this some like high fashion designer in Paris that like dictates the price of yeah. what my Montana Bobcat, like, it's so funny that we just live under these well universal This whole truths. like ridiculous COVID shutdown, this and that kind of put a monkey wrench in it in this last few years with the fur market, but starting to stabilize again but a lot of that what do you think covid made fur more valuable well we couldn't get the certain auctions weren't you know the the pelts weren't coming in the auctions weren't taking place because people were not assembling like it wasn't a trapping thing it was just a no i think it just had to do with how travel was limited yeah okay how the markets were just kind of dampered down everything everything just kind of went into a a stall um and then now you got to look at it as when things start picking up there's cats that are flushing the market flushing yeah like there there was some inventory in. here yeah so therefore you're not going to get top dollar when there's a lot to choose yeah, from. supply and demand you know whereas we have a renewable resource but there's only so many you can only kill get so many bobcats a year yeah especially per individual and then certain regions have certain that's right color you know certain attributes but you know there'll be a guy and i don't i just just i'm telling this story secondhand with like there's one individual that comes from, I, I think it's like Greece or something, and he'll buy a top lot. A buyer. As like a buyer, and he'll buy top lot at like the biggest auction, as almost like a prestige move. Like, oh, it's like a flex. It's like a flex, yeah. And then he goes and makes one coat, and then he throws whatever price he wants on that coat. Twenty-five thousand dollar coat. Oh, that's cheap. That is I'm it. Talking like, you know, he'll. That's that's what if you went down to the wild sheep show here and you go through the with like what a bobcat coat is it's like twenty five grand. Wow. I'm sure he could sell them for a hundred. Wow. Two hundred. Whatever. Because you know, he's a, he's a name designer kind, or something. Yeah. yeah. Just, and so that's kind of how it's this basic market, sales and marketing. <laughs> just kind of how it works. And so with me, I mean, I'm also playing that game except I'm on the bottom of the totem pole. <laughs> you know, I'm just the dirty dirtbag hound. I'm just the. You I'm know? just the caveman that hiked up after my dogs yeah. and shot this thing. I just love that part of it. But it's fun because they're all built and created different. They're a, they're quite the adversary. They're yeah. Difficult to catch. So that's, it's a, that's Bobcats something. are pieces of art. Yeah. I think I think they're real real 
unique, incredible animal. I mean, when you compare them to a lion or a lynx. Well, I mean, it's. I've got three life-size bobcat, a bobcat rug. I've got 13 bobcats getting tanned right now. <laughs> coming back to me i'm gonna make some stuff with it that's right you're talking about your hat the hats you got i'm gonna make some hats Uh, i'm gonna try to make some gloves out of some of the remnants of the leftovers from the hats um i got a couple wall hanger pelts that i'll sell to friends family people that are interested i got you know just they're just a cool well it's worth it's worth whatever somebody is willing to pay for it yeah and and again it's like i did sell some to the fur buyer you know, I, I, I deal with the, our local fur, fur buyer for a lot of years here, and I love the guys. Just And we have a great thing going. We have a good relationship, and he teaches me a lot about that side of it, even though I'm never going to become pro at it or anything. I just am fascinated with it. How do you go pro? Government trapper? I'm just saying take it from start to finish. Oh, like, oh, oh, okay. Like go from not only catching all my bobcats, but now I'm making like some $100,000 fur coat or something. It's like, hey, and he doesn't do that either, by the way. Doesn't sound like a bad idea. No, but there's a lot of risk there, and I wouldn't, it's not <laughs> in the game, you know. But anyway, he, uh, you know, we have a good thing going, and he he takes care of me, and I sold some to him this year. And, and prices yeah, are up, yeah. I was pleased with what I got for the ones I did sell, and the, the ones I retained, I, I'm going to get them tan and do some crafting with them. And, you know, this is a new thing for me. I've never done it before. You got a sewing machine? No, I'm having them made by a professional. Oh, oh, you're outsourcing it. Yeah, by a professional. God, this shit's expensive, maker. man. Oh, yeah. I've looked but at I've the, already I've looked locked at the catalogs. The price. So I already know what I can get them made for. I know what my tanning costs Need are. any beaver? Maybe we could partner up here, Tyler. Well, I know the guy. I mean, I know the guy. What guy? The, the guy that's going to make seems my hat. The creator yeah yeah i've already met with them face to face i already know what my hard costs are okay so i also know that these hats are not going to be cheap but i've pre-sold five there you so go well i t- yeah the two my two biggest bobcats this year which i trapped did not tree with my hounds um i pre-sold them as well to some clients of mine that wanted life-size bobcats for their trophy rooms nice and I was like, I'll, I'll get it mounted for you and sell it to you. That's one thing that – so I used to trap a lot too, you know. Yeah, we had some good conversations about this. Uh, I trapped biggest bobcat of my life this year, and you were probably the first text I, I sent out, sent you a picture of the cat, and I was like, man, you bobcat, man, you'll appreciate this. This is an old Tom. I'm really proud of this cat. Um, and he said – I used to trap, ran myself ragged. Yep. And God did that. Because I was strike an at the same time, you know. So I was trying to it run dogs and does. trap. It you either does. Either got to trap, or you got to be a houndsman. I find. I mean, it's tough. I mean, it is such a commitment. It's different. Let me walk that back. If you want to have like say, three, four sets out and be a houndsman, that's doable. But when you're really trying to run a, a When you land a whole trap line out. You, it's, so, it's so hard to handle dogs, run dogs, run your trap line. Put keep your dogs up. out of your traps. Yeah. But what I'm getting at is that when I trapped, I foothelled a bunch of them, and then I eventually graduated to box trapping them. So yeah. Cage traps. Yeah, so tell me more about that. The cage trapping? Yeah, so we traditionally trap bobcats with foothold Foot. traps which is they step on a pan and two jaws come up and it grabs their foot 
and it holds them there until we get there. So the cage trap is just it's just that. I mean, people have seen it's like a have a heart. It's like a have a heart, but it's certain height. So you have to be at least, I believe, it's at least 18 inches high for a bobcat and nine inches wide. That's kind of like, and that's not a law. That's uh, just I was gonna say, is this no, a law? No, no, that's just what. That's how you build. Trappers, that's how you build that's it. That's how you build them for bobcat. Like, that's just the right height and width, evidently. Yeah. So anyway, I have a handful of these cage traps, and then I would set them on their travel routes, and I'd create these like see-through cubbies, mm-hmm. and I'd hang a rabbit in there, and same deal. There's a pan in there, and they'd go in and boop. Doors and then that would behind, give you yeah. the ability to. And this is where, this is another little tip. This is where I could either go in there and it would be a kitten or whatever and I could let it go. Or, you know, that's the trophy cat and you could take it. But what I would do is I'd go take that cage to a place and run it with my hounds. Turn it out. Yeah. And that's I did that a handful of times. And, uh, you know, I'd let them see it. This is when I was first trying to get the dogs to catch them. Yeah, things, so I would things use click. the real deal. But I would take them out into like an isolated island of trees. Controlled, controlled environment. Yeah. And they can still get away because I've had it oh happen. Oh, God. Yeah, <laughs> but that's frus- hole, <laughs> that's you know? frustrating. It's like, no way. But, you know, the only way you're ever going to really get dog catching bobcat is to just keep on giving them the opportunity. And then you got to start reading between the lines as to where am I coming up short? Like, is it, is it, why is isn't, it, why isn't this happening? Yeah. And, and, I've given all the points of what I believe that it just a lot has to do with intelligence, agility, speed, you know, and then the resilience to keep hunting, keep giving them opportunity, just keep going and keep. I don't know if that gives me any peace of mind. We're just like, I'm just, we're just not smart enough, boys. (laughs) It's, I don't know. Um, I know a lot of guys that are, they're, they're quite the adversary when it comes to, you know catching any game but i think any of them will tell you like a bobcat is the definer of like a good hound is that right yeah when they can catch consistently catch bobcat you got really good hounds yeah so uh i've never treed a bobcat uh and i've said this before but i have my dogs have run them under rocks and there's been like hole situation you know uh rock hole situations where i've seen you know like the bobcats there mm-hmm. but i've they never may have trailed it to that hole too n- never once had a bobcat go up in a damn tree and my dogs blow it hmm. uh they have caught and killed bobcats on the ground on two occasions that's impressive i've only done it once well it was a little I I set them up for success. Let me say it that way. There, we had a bobcat in a culvert. Oh, okay. And I looked into the culvert, and I see the bobcat running out the other side, and I yell back to the truck, let him, let him go, dump him out. And the bobcat made it 150 yards into a stubble field, and the mm-hmm. dogs just steamrolled it. No, That'll happen. <laughs> not not an ideal, you know, in hindsight, it's not yeah. what I wanted to have happen, and the only one I've ever had happen like that was in a one of these tinsel stick yards. Yeah, matchsticks. And they were just running it and running it and running it and running it in circles for a long time. And I was like, what is going on? And finally, the dogs started to show tree, but they weren't standing together. They were kind of apart. 
balance in and a little bit. And they weren't barking tree either. Like they were, and then they'd quit. <laughs> they were chewing. The snow on was something. pretty deep. And I walked down in there, and uh, I actually watched what happened. That Sam right there, they had run in so many loops. Sam stopped and turned in the back trap and ran against the grain of the circle. She's like, I know what's happening. I know it's going to come next. Headed it right off, and they just smashed it. She grabbed it. On the ground and killed it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, by the time I got out to the fight in the culvert situation I talked about, 30 seconds by the time I got out there, and it was all but over. And bobcats can be vicious little turds. Oh, yeah, Sphinx was all tore up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would not want to. I had one bite right through the bottom of my boot one time. What? Yeah. Were you t- standing on it? it? <laughs> but I was so excited. I mean, this is a crazy story. I have it life-size, but my dad has it. It was a 30-pounder. Giant. Giant, yeah. And uh, this is a good story because it's got trapping and hound in it. So All the good stuff. This was back when I was trapping and hound hunting. But there was a big mountain tom bobcat that was crossing this same place. And I'd hunted in there enough years that I knew about this cat. <clears throat> so I set for him. So if you don't know this, cats, whether it's a bobcat or a mountain lion or your damn barn cat, travel route. very religious routes. If you cut a bobcat more, more lion than bobcat, but yeah, bobcat as well. But you yeah. see a you see a lion track once in a spot, you'll likely see one there again at a later date. That's a fact. So and this was when I was trapping with steel. So I set on one side of the crossing in this really nasty canyon up against this rock wall where he'd come down. And then he'd come down across the road, and then he'd go up this real tight kind of undergrowth Christmas tree, you know, thick bottom. And there was an old, old wolverine cubby up in this bottom from like 100 years ago. Old trappers had it up in there. Like a trapping cubby? Like a for a wolverine, wolverine cubby. Like Whoa. a wooden yeah, bo- axe-built yeah, yeah. box. Yeah, that's how yeah. I heard that yeah. they do it. And that bobcat would always go up and check that. And then he'd carry on. And so this year I set the trap for him. And uh, I'd, yeah, I'd set the trap on each side of the canyon with a rabbit, both sides or mm-hmm. whatever. And uh, the cat, I'm just kind of giving you the abbreviated version because, you know, it takes time for stuff to marinate and happen. That's right. <clears throat> so the cat comes down three weeks the later <laughs> the cat comes through this on is a circle l- this is quite a while ago so it's hard <laughs> for me to recall the exact details but the best part is i know the the main points this cat comes down the wall obviously i didn't catch him because he crossed the road he goes right up the draw where they always go and back then um i used to put a orange clothespin like a reflector clothespin tied to spider wire tied to my trap chain so when i would trip it i could glass it from like a couple hundred yards away so i wouldn't be walking up to my sets because i didn't Mm -hmm. want anyone to know i was set up. yeah and you don't want to go stomping around with your scent you don't if you're not rebating or something yeah yeah. and cats honestly scent it doesn't even matter no they're pretty uh carefree yeah so anyways i go up that's right he crosses the road. My other set was not 
was not even set. I'd only set on the one side of the road this first year. I didn't even set to this Wolverine cubby. I hadn't even walked up there at this point. But I hike up, and there was a pack rat in my steel, froze. Bobcat comes down. Some bycatch. Yep. Bobcat comes down, eats the rabbit. The, the bait. pack rat's sitting there in the trap, frozen solid, and it leaves it and carries on. Goes up that draw. I was it's about. like sucker. So then I walk <laughs> Bobcat up the draw, and I find this wolverine cubby for the first time ever, you know. Hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. He's checking this. So season ends up closing or whatever. Fast forward to the following year. I do the same set. Same exact set, except this time I set on the other side. Of the Wolverine. At the Wolverine cubby. Yeah. Yeah. So the bobcat comes down the wall, and I had, and I had, uh, I had double set it. So I set a trap inside, and then I set one out at the mouth. Yeah, smart. You know, because the rabbit was hanging well inside, you know. So... Because I watched the bobcat come up and kind of peer in, and he didn't walk all the way in. But there wasn't a rabbit hanging in there either, so I kind of set two spots. In case the outside trap froze, I at least had the one on the inside that yep. was cubbied in. Well, he bypassed this one. He didn't even go up to it on the rock wall side. Crosses, but I can see my little orange pins pulled uh -oh. on the other side at the wolverine cubby so i'm like i got him yeah well it's 10 below zero that day I mean, this plays into the story so i get up there and it's just chaos in the snow both traps are tripped you know the rabbit's still hanging there it's just chaos is there a big catch circle like a oh big, just or did he drag it off i had a drag but it was beat to heck and there was brush everywhere so the drag was hung up pretty tight so you don't have the bobcat in your first set, but you look. Well, he, he bypassed the first. He set. bypassed. You look across at this Wolverine box, which is kind of. I can't kinda, see it. I, I just know where it is, but I have a little orange tab that I pin that I can glass from where my snowmobile is, so I can see up the drainage. It's gone, so I know the trap's been tripped. Got it. Because when it trips, and he yanks the chain, it yanks the pin. You can't and see I can't it anymore. I can't see it anymore, so I know he's he tripped it. So I'm sure I got him caught. So And you don't have these traps wired to a tree. You have it on drag. a drag, which yeah. is like a big treble hook. Yeah. Which is iron. smarter that way because if they have something to pull against, they can pull out, you know. That's I've never I've yeah. never uh, do a drag. Never done a drag. Yeah. Well, that's what I was taught anyway. Well, that makes sense. So I get up there, and it's just chaos for – 10 feet in a circle you know of big trashed out catch circle out yeah and uh both traps are there tripped no cat no blood no nothing oh you didn't catch it no no so i was like you're like what the heck happened you know, this here is two years now i finally got to steal the clink on them and i don't have them so fast forward to the next year um i'm still setting up in there just like I had the previous two years, but I'm a houndsman still. So I was cat hunting that day in a creek bottom about four air miles from there. And I always carry a 22 with me to shoot rabbits for my sets. A handgun or a long rifle? A little long packable. I got to get me one of those. Yeah. Um, it's long gone now. I got a different gun now. But, anyways, um, I look over in the trees and there's these ravens sitting there. And I'm in a creek bottom with a thick junipers. And, of course, what's ravens indicate? A kill. A kill. 
and I'm lying, or I'm hounds, you know, I'm a houndsman, that's what I'm looking, so, so I'm like, okay, so I grab my rifle, or my 22, and I walk over in this thick jungle of juniper, and these ravens are still there in the tree above me, and that's odd. Usually they'll they fly away, yeah. you know, and I'm like, okay. Why are they holding their ground? Why are ground? they holding here? Like, what in the crap is going on? I can't see any tracks of any coyotes, no lion. There's no kill. Just birds. There's just birds. And I'm like, what is going on? Well, about from me to your foot, so like two feet away, yeah. I mean, is this giant cottonwood that's fallen dead. Big root ball? No, a full-on dead cottonwood tree, but it's sitting about. The trunk. The trunk of it sitting a couple, three feet off the ground. Big but wood it's wall. Diameter yeah, yeah, huge. yeah. And underneath it was Timothy grass, like, mm. or like swamp grass or whatever, that brownish. Sure. And uh, I'm standing there looking at the birds and I'm looking for track and I'm looking around and I just, I can't figure out what's going on. And I look down at my feet and here's a 30 pound Tom Bobcat one foot away from me looking me right in the eye. Get out of here. Underneath that big cottonwood Unca- untrapped uncaged he's just, hold- just holding tight looking he could have eaten my ankle off like he was <laughs> he was literally i could have kicked him in the face that's how we're gonna lose you tyler but the second i Damn looked Bob at that's gonna get you he took off and i pull up the the 22 and he's gone vanished so i run back to the truck and i drop the tailgate no collars or nothing <laughs> i mean i just like send him because he the cat was running away from the mountain. Like, right now, yeah. yeah. So I let them sail out, and they run down and out of earshot, like howling down this canyon, down this creek. But he ran pretty straight? He, he had nowhere to go because it oh. was, like, all picking down to, like, less and less and less and less. Yeah, you know? this is like the culvert cat we killed. So I was like, dude, I'm going to get this thing. So I basically know a bobcat. I know what they do. I've ran enough of them. I know they're going to loop. Yeah. So I get on the back track and I find a little like opening, small opening. Wait. And I wait. And then I hear the dogs actually vocally turn, but they're a long ways away. Mm. And then I hear something. And then here comes this cat and it's well ahead of the dogs, you know, and it's coming and I pull up and it's an open site, you know, and I'm just kind of waiting mm, 30 yards. Oh, close. But like, you know, through the brush. and Okay. So it's coming through on the move, and I shoot, and I thought I crunched the thing. I mean, it humps and takes off running. Uh-huh. <coughs> so my dogs come barreling in there, like, within 60 seconds. I mean, they're, they're right behind it, yeah. And they go, and they tree it. And they tree it on the top of this big, broken, dead cotton. Like, I'm in a cotton thing alive. Pile. Yeah. Yeah. And it looks unfazed. Yeah. I mean, it's like I didn't hit it. Well, I'm so fired up about it. I'm just like, and this thing's big, you know. And at that time, I'd never killed a 30-pounder. And I've only. I'd never done that in my life. I've actually only ever gotten four over 30 in my, my life. My biggest is 24. Yeah, well, those are big cats. That's I mean, a big cat. It's like people talking about a 150-inch white tail. And look at this 180 I shot. It's yeah. like, no. God, we could go down a rabbit yeah. hole on this. Yeah. But anyways, um, I get there, and I'm so excited. I don't tie the dogs up because I can tell he's looking to go. He wants He's to looking jump. to jump. He wants to jump, yeah. So I just pull up and shoot and drop him, and the dogs jump in on him. Well, I am I already knew I was going to mount this thing. Like, it was big. You don't want the dogs to rip it in half. I don't want it tearing it up. So I run in there and step on it, yep. but I don't want to step on its skull. I mean, this is getting kind of morbid, but I just – You stand on, the, you stand on just, the chest. This is all happening quickly, you know. And I do that, and I'm trying to pull dogs out of the way, and while I do that, the bobcat reaches around and bites right through my Kenetrack boot 
Oh, I mean, no. right through the sole of it. And with his canine, with his mouth. Yeah, right yeah. through it and gets his teeth caught in my boot. And now, <laughs> I, now I just pin it. I roll my foot over. He's not in my foot, though. He's, like, through my boot. And it's just in rubber. Foot. Yeah. And then I stick the 22 in his ear and crack him. And then I pick him up. And I'm trying to beat the dogs off of me and everything. No collars, no leisure. Yeah. <laughs> it's just. So I'm like, holy crap, you know. So what a moment. I mean, it's like my first big bobcat. I actually did run it with the dogs, but the experience of it all. And so I get it home, and I'm working on it, and I'm putting it up. And I get down, and I look, and this thing's missing a toe. Oh, no way. And I'm like. I've hunted, I hunt this canyon like every day. I know every big tom bobcat there is around this here. This is some and of the bitch the that blew up that Wolverine box. That blew my setup. And it was 10 below zero that day. And so Popped he probably was in there for a bit. And I don't know if he heard me pull up on the snowmobile or if it happened at the, in that moment. And it took that quick to get it to where it was froze. But mm. there was no blood. Oh, interesting. So you think you toe caught, toe caught, toe caught the bobcat and popped the toe off, and he lost the toe and no was blood to go and took off. Yeah, and that's the only thing I can. And granted, it it may or may not be the way I just told it, but that's the way I believe it to be. And I ended up life sizing that bobcat, and my that's dad cool. actually has it in his. It's a cool story. Yeah. Um, Big Tom. I've killed a, a lion before, missing two toes two of his front he just had the far right and left toe oh yeah and i have to assume that was from a trap yeah, i've caught him before with missing toes yeah yeah you had a cool history with a one-eyed cat once upon a time didn't you Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was like back when i was getting to know you eight ten years ago whatever uh 2011 the big one-eyed tom you had a bit of a saga with yeah, I, I, so I was doing a National Geographic documentary, actually. Yeah, tell me about that. Yeah. You were filming some stuff with that Casey guy, Casey Anderson. Anderson. Yeah, he had a series, and then I was brought in as kind of the out mountain lion expert consultant or whatever. Yeah, they needed some lion footage. And that, they ended up br- bringing me into the show because it was hard to keep me kind of out of the show. to like. I, yeah, how cute, or the dogs, yeah. And I thought it was an awesome opportunity because obviously I'm a huge houndsman advocate and now we're going mainstream, you know, and I get to, this is a good opportunity. Yeah. 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 So I ended up getting to showcase hounds and kind of the usage of hounds for, you know, collaring and studying cats. Y'all did some special stuff through that series. I know there's a lot of cool trail camera photos that y'all got, Yeah, yeah. but then there was something else. Do you have something? I walked one down. Yeah. Well, the cave thing was one eye. So I filmed one eye remotely twice. One eye. You're talking about the Tom. Yeah. Yeah. I filmed him remotely twice, like camera trapping him. Got it. Tra- for footage, trying to learn behavior and whatnot. And he actually came into this cave and did a scent scrape all on film. And That's left. cool. And then I treat him twice that winter also. So I have nice photographs of him and and uh, never did. Just didn't want to kill him? Or uh, he, was part, he was part of this documentary now? Yeah, and I wasn't really that wasn't really where i was at in my headspace at the time anyway well correct me if i'm wrong but you've killed seven eight mountain lions you're no stranger to shooting cats i've shot i'm trying to count seven or eight i just got my third seven or eight i'm just trying but i hadn't killed one honestly since uh shoot 
2000. Well, let's see here. I wasn't even married yet. Years go oh. by, man. I mean, it had to be in like 2007 or 2006. I did the, I did the math on mine. It had been five years since I had shot my own cat. So anyways, that wasn't really where I was at with that whole deal. It was more like just the... So you knew him, you caught him twice. And filmed him remotely twice all that same winter. And wow. he just kind of vanished and never... But he was a healthy, just a stud of a mountain lion with... he just Five-year-old cat. At least five. I would say older than that. But What do you uh, assume took his eye? Probably a horn of a deer. That's my understanding. Yeah. It's the most likely... Yeah. You've, you're going to fight a, a mule deer buck to the ground. Yeah. You might lose an eye. Yeah. And I think it happens more than we think. And I think, you know, the thing about a lion that's so fascinating is they, if they get injured, they're dead. Dude, you know, they For live. the most part. Like if they break an ankle or if they snap both their canines. Game over. Yeah, they're done. They, Dude, they live hard and fat. The average lion shot in the state of Montana is probably, what, two years old? Two, yeah. Yeah. Which Actually, that's probably in the country. Which is, it sounds young, and it is young, but you also have to understand that uh, an ancient lion is six. That's it's, old, yeah. It's a I would say ancient would be like 10 to 12. You understand the picture I'm trying to paint, though? It's not uh, like a bull elk, a big bull elk might be 13 years old. Sure, yeah. We don't have 13-year-old yeah. lions. Interestingly, too, it's hard to understand unless I can. I'll try to frame it. But the fe the a female actually will not live as long as a good, healthy, strong male. That's counterintuitive. Because they're raising so many young, and they're going back to their kills that are in dirt and grit, oh, and they wear their teeth. And they wear their teeth out. And a big old Tom, as he gets older, he actually is killing, eating, and moving on. And fresh meat, fresh yeah, meat, fresh yeah. meat. And I mean killing, eating, and moving on. It's about the only time you're ever going to see a cat not use its whole kill. It's old. a great, big, old, dominant tom. He's like, I know it's going to get pirated yep. by some other predators. Not there. even that. They're just so confident. And he just wants the prime cuts. He wants to dominate the countryside. So he eats to continue down the road. Wow. Yeah, yeah. And a female who's a good mother... She's cleaning up everything. Like she's like, we're so we're staying right here in yeah, this we're creek. It no, all. no one's messing with yeah, us and here. She has to eat we're staying too. right here. You know, so if the kittens aren't even eating yet meat, she's cleaning stuff up. She's eating for three. She's eating for three, and so her teeth are wearing from the grit. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, think of the Indians and the old dying trees, and you know, they that's when their teeth wear out. That's right. Yeah, and a lot of the times that's from the maize bowls and the. The grid and the foods and same with like sheep, uh, you know, sheep and mountain goats too. Yeah, seems like that seems to be the uh, the tipping. But point. if you don't have teeth, you can't gain your new. You don't have your nutrients. Mm -hmm. you just you just your health wanes and then you die. And so, <laughs> and I again, I'm not. I mean, I'm sure I've heard that. I just retain some of the stuff that just fascinates me, and that's one thing I thought, man, that doesn't. I never thought of it like that. And it makes good trying sense. Trying to think who told me that. They were very credible. I wish I had the name off the top of my head, but I've gone through so many different productions and documentaries and, and talking to biologists who collar and just, you know, I'm always trying to glean more and more intel because I'm just fascinated by 
trailing the lion. You know? I think I think real houndsmen are very curious naturalists, and we want to learn more because the average day of trailing an apex predator, you get to see things and experience places and understand uh, ecological hierarchy more than your average deer hunter. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it it puts it in perspective, you know, because us as deer and elk hunters, we, we kind of forget about there is other predators that are actually more stealthier than you are that are also hunting. And it turns out their life count or, is yeah. dependent on it. Yeah. So you I don't mean, get a buck, you can still go to the bar and get a cheeseburger. Right. I've always equated the you know, whatever the lion's teaching you is only heightening your skill as a as a hunter or especially a bow hunter if you know how to interpret it. And a lot of people That's well said. A that lot makes of people sense. will find a cat track and they'll say, Oh, that's cool. I saw this track at this place and but they don't follow it. Right. That's what we do. That's what every we do. Day. Just follow it. The story, you know, the story unfolds. Yeah. And now with, with GPS and stuff, I mean, we're cheating. I mean, the amount of information that you can glean without really having to spend the effort. That Watching your dogs work. Yeah. And you can, you're learning about the lot. You're yeah. learning about your dogs and how they're hunting, but you're also learning about the, the travel. And I hunted before GPS with my dogs. I mean, Did I you? Never, oh yeah. I never telemetry or like nothing. Nothing and telemetry, but I never. You went had through the, the whole. Fun. Yeah. Yeah, I never had the. I just had a collar with the magnet in it, and then before that, I had no nothing. Yeah, you turn loose and you and follow. You have the, to follow. You follow the, the dog. Yeah, yeah. Piece of advice I was given once upon a time, uh, which I believe to be true. If you if you need to catch the cat, or if you if you need to kill, if you're trying to kill the cat, if catching the cat is imperative, you don't leave the race, even with our nice GPSs. Like follow it step by step, so if anything gets fouled up. You're able to write the ship. Um, but that w- would just be a textbook example of following step by step the the path of the of the lion and hopefully your dog's right to the tree. Sure. Yeah. Um, before I forget too, I should mention that uh I'm involved in this film. I know, I wanted that's what I wanted to end on with you. I want you to tell yeah. me about your current your current work and Yeah, so I'm kinda I usually don't do podcasts, as Pete knows. And I know. I've, I've, I've been real, asked by a lot of people, and it's, it's like, ah, I think I'll finally just start doing some. Because I'm involved in a pretty special production that is actually about Houndsman, and it's called Lionheart. Um, Lionheart. Yeah. That's and a good title. It's basically a, it's a portrayal or an angle that shows Houndsman and, and where our heart lives in this sport. You know, and it's obviously the dog, but it's the reverence for the lion and just how integral a part we are as you know stewards of this species you know mountain lion wise but also like the heritage of hound hunting and the culture and you know it is slipping away trapping all of it is like being trying to be stripped from us and so we've done this production where it's featured uh, i believe it's six houndsmen throughout the west and they've kind of got a little you know, insight into our approach, our lifestyle, our philosophies. And it's going to premiere, I think in August in Colorado, um, they're going to premiere it. And it's going to be at some, um, I could pull it up here, but 
I'll start. I'll I'll share it more as it comes near. But this I know in August it's going to premiere in Colorado. Yeah. And then it's going to be entered into an array of international wildlife film festivals all over, like around the world. And then next, this August 1st, we're actually entering it into the Sundance Film Festival for 2024. Very so, cool. And it's going to make its rounds. It's going to actually be a theater. It's going to go through Montana, Utah, Nevada, Colorado, I think Arizona. Um, and they're just going to kind of run it as like a, a feature. And it's going to be a pretty big deal in terms of um, the educational aspect of our sport. and That's great. I can't wait love. for it. So I want to make sure to utilize these platforms to Lionheart. Lionheart. Yeah. Blood Origins is the produced, produced by Blood yep. Origins. Mm -hmm. And it is Robbie a Kroger, uh, his team. Yep. It's kind of an insightful view of half a dozen different houndsmen across mm -hmm. the West. Yep. Different styles of hunting, different, you know, gals married couples single you know like there's got to the be uh all these obvious differences and then all all of these maybe some like shock well what's similarities. what's cool is like i i'm you know i i sh i was a character in the film and i obviously got to be a part of those days of production and i actually filmed some um birthing sequences here with my dogs and there's going to be some really wow. cool stuff but I don't know, nor do I want to really probe. I want to see this film and how it rolls out because I believe in, in my heart, no pun intended, we're all cut from the same cloth. True houndsmen are doing it for a all the, the same reasons. reasons. Yeah. And I think it's just going to come out. You know, I think the film's going to really be able to showcase that, you know, and everybody loves dogs. I mean, you know, it's, they're a part of us. They're a part of our history, but you know what? Been coexisting with us for a long time. Right. And I think the whole dog cat battle, that's a historical God given thing too. That's just the way it is. Like how does a 45 pound dog keep a 150 pound lion at bay for hours till I get there yeah. without ever a problem? Yeah. What an interesting, uh, so it's kind of solution a for that cat to come up with. Yeah. So this will be a cool way to, I think, get it out to the mainstream in a time where, you know, people are coming after our sport. What's uh, what's the term people use like defend the gate, guard the gate or something about, you know, you lose. You might lose wolf trapping and then after that you lose. Right. You lose well, uh, lion hunting, then bobcat hunting, and then trap. These, uh, these people are trying to take this stuff from us of strategy. I mean, they have money. They have they're, they're not dumb. They're not dumb. No, and we are just immersed in our in our passion. So it's time to like, you know, you know, guys like Robbie has a head. You know, with Blood Origins, he's thought this through enough, and he has foresight through you know, all of his other endeavors and dabbling with conservation and fighting for hunters and hunting. This is a huge topic right now. and Big priority. It's a big priority, yeah. You know, if I don't have hound hunting, I mean, I'd probably still do it. <laughs> I, so, I can't disagree with you. I mean. I think I look at the boys in Oregon and California, and I'm like, oh. man, if I – it's hard for me but to we're tell fighting you for them too though because it's coming full circle you know like washington now they're finally getting permits back issued and is that right yeah because of the problems now they're like bringing dogs back into the mix it's very regulated but i i, I mean it's just what i've heard i haven't like studied or read yeah, up yeah. on it but I'm, I'm certain that it's come around now to where they realize 
well, we need these guys and their dogs. Like, you know? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Let's yeah. not get rid of this guy yeah. so fast. And I'm beyond, beyond the harvesting and the management of it. You know, it's the studying of an animal that's arguably the most elusive. Elusive. Mysteri- mysterious yeah. predator. Yeah, but they're everywhere. And actually, of all the wild cats, I think the mountain lion's likely the most um, has the strongest foothold. They're they're doing the best. I mean, well, they're well distributed. Yeah, uh, and they're in they're prolific. And they're prolific, and they're in strong numbers just about everywhere they exist. And actually, where we hunt them, they're the most healthy. The populations. And explain that to us, because we have a, a strict quota-based harvest. Well, uh, what what people need to understand is a great big tom. Pete said it a, a minute ago. You know, a five-year-old Tom is a big, old, mature Tom. He's king of the castle. When Toms get to be six and seven, eight, like, they're not only big king dominant, they kill everything in their path, mountain lion. Kittens, juveniles, females, everything. Their seed is everything to them, and they basically regulate to where the population goes down. Yeah. Because he is the king regulator now. He's like, I ain't having nothing but my own blood yeah, around With our here. population, or with our quota, our population has actually gone up because we've killed a fair number of these kings, and that allows for these younger, younger three- and four-year-olds to grow up at the same time. Right. To where they'll go in and have a boxing match and not kill each other, and that gives the houndsman catches him and – He's four now, and it's a beautiful trophy, and he takes him out. That other three-year-old's still alive, you know. There's a revolving door. There's a revolving door where you don't have the king out there slaying everybody. It's like we got this eight-year-old Tom and a bunch of dead kittens and not much in between. And that's really what why we have such a strong population. But I'm going to also say that's healthy. I mean, it's we're at a good place. I mean. Yeah, I was going to ask you, like, uh, when you started – 20, 30 years ago, was it harder to catch a lion in southwest Montana than it is today or easier well, today? Well, that's, that's a tough way to answer that because it was way harder because I didn't have the knowledge uh, that I have now. It, w- it was your <laughs> own fault, yeah. That's partially my own fault. Partially, too, where I was hunting, um, you know, I've had to learn, like, the better places, the better crossings, like the times of year of why they're there. Um, where to go to actually dig that cat out from any bo- sort of pressure because cats do react to pressure. Certainly. I mean, there's just all kinds of things I've just learned that I can still pull it off in the same places that I used to hunt. I can catch cats, but I can look back. Back in those days, I used to hunt. If I went seven days in a row, I might cut a couple tracks. Yeah, I think that's you know? I think that's the normal yeah. breakdown for but People now I would getting rather into not, the sport now. Yeah, now if I go. You know where you're going. I know where I'm going, and I'm going to run a cat three out of five days, I'm going to say. Boy, that speaks volumes because that's not my average, uh, and that just speaks to your experience. Uh, the better I get at this, the better my percentages go up on that too. On No, I'm not going to catch a big tom every day. But I'm pretty sure I know a female 
is yeah. going to be in this creek or this creek, yeah. and if we hike them. Well, you just got to have your finger on the beat. You got to know where they want to be, what time of year, where's the food sources moving. Yeah. Our breeding heightens in January, February, March. So there's corridors the toms move through. There's You know where the certain female's living. You know if she's got little kittens or kickoffs. You, you just know everything. So I used to uh, I used to be really critical of houndsmen that, like, these jokers think they know way more than they actually do. Because so. you, you'll hear a, a houndsman be like, yep, that's that old female crossed right here last year, same time, rip-a-dip-a-dip. And it's easy – it was easy. It still is easy for me to be like, you joker. You you were just talking out of both sides of your mouth right now. You don't actually know what's going on. Turns out, through my own experience, has, has validated this. No, you. if you hunt the same country year after year, you, in fact, do learn individual cats. Mm-hmm. And you certainly learn consistent crossing spots and uh oh yeah and just the habits of them especially the big toms but the the problem with the big tom it's not a problem it's actually kind of a ironically a beautiful thing they just know how to be elusive and you got to know when they're going to move where they're coming and where they want to go mm. and that takes a lot of years of connecting those dots cuz big toms are very rare like let's say I'm certainly not on track to catch 30 this year, but I'd average 30 cat catches a year. Boy, that's that's pretty and I'd impressive. Catch two to three mature toms a year mm-hmm. out of 30. That was my average for years. So, with that said, it's like a lot of times that can be luck, but I can also look back, and a lot of times that's a cat that I was on two years before the next year, and then I was ahead. I was like thinking ahead, like trying to look for him at that time, and then bam there he is and it's like he made a move when he should have but i i caught up to him i like figured out hey just like you just like that that new hound dog you got Mm -hmm. you're like i'm gonna flank right yeah i'm I'm gonna up our odds here yeah and and that was from her bloodlines like just making smarter decisions yeah she's still young but she just comes out of some incredible blood i'll leave you with this story this happened just a week ago Hmm. a friend of mine um I don't need how much backstory I need to give you, but basically there's a friend of ours. I helped catch a cat for a lot of years ago, but he's been trying to kill a big Tom for 11 years. And he's a great hunter, very deserving. He had another big cat in a tree, and he let his father-in-law shoot it. Houndsman? Nope, not this particular guy who was going to hunt. But my point is is that by me injecting that piece of information, it just heightens the, the, uh, the importance of like, Let's get this done for this guy. I mean, he's deserving. And I don't hardly help anybody kill cats, by the way. I but, mean, you, but you were all in to help here. Yeah. Yeah. And it was, I didn't catch it, but my friend John, who actually I got my female who throws all my pups, I got her from him. And he's got some incredible bobcat dog, good hunting dogs. And I need to get this guy's number. He <laughs> caught a big Tom before dark and just by himself. And he calls me about it and mentions that our friend Jamie hadn't shot a cat yet. I go, are you kidding me? And that's a small little side story there. And he goes, no, he let his father in on I go, well, I'm in on that tomorrow if you need my help. So I went with him, and we were going to go back, get the track freshened up. Yeah. 
and go catch it as a team and take this cat. He was a big sucker, like big, old, smart Tom. You know, I I looked at the pictures. John knows what he's looking at. King Kong. Yeah. So we go back there at daylight. Mind you, he'd caught him just before dark. So how, how only, far did he go? We're only 12 hours difference, right? Right. Well, I have other far stories I can tell you after this. This is a different deal. This is crazy. The side of the mountain we hiked up was mostly bullet plate, snow patches, and rock. And I'm talking big rock. Mm-hmm. And we had about a half of a mile of, of a cliff wall, like 40, you know, 40 foot drop cliff wall, about a half mile kind of coming down at an angle on this mountainside. Big feature. Big feature, yeah. And he'd treat him right at the head of that on the top of the mountain. Cool. And there was just patches of snow around the tree and then mostly just a bunch of rock and this huge rock feature and then bullet plate snow kind of underneath it. What do you mean by bullet plate snow? Like you could walk on it. A cat could walk on top. No track. You could see it, barely see a track probably. Like it's holding dirt, him up. But it's just like. I got it. He's not punching through. It's that not makes clean, sense. But it yeah. doesn't matter when you got a bunch of good dogs there. It shouldn't matter. Well, it sure so, helps when they punch through. <laughs> so here's what happened. We hike up there at daylight. We go right to the tr- – actually, we don't even go to the tree because we're so confident the dogs are just going to catch it and take it out. Like we're it. just going to cast out beyond it. We yeah. hunt from daylight all the way into the mid-afternoon. You freshen up? never one time saw a track. Not one time did our old dogs tone off like – pipe off that they have sent it's like this cat this cat got abducted by aliens disappeared absolutely vanished still in the tree nope nope because we went to the tree multiple times we did everything we could we took old dogs and like envisioned like what the cat would do and tried to get the old dogs to like pipe off like these are good to start just like like, give us a start yeah Yeah. like i've ran plenty of cats on dry ground a day later and caught them no problem this thing just houdinied absolutely vanished and i have i can speculate what he did but it's what we do best it still doesn't answer any questions but what i think he did is he he basically john did say he was nervous and wanted to get out of that tree I think he launched. I think he. I think he came down the tree. I think he jumped downhill, and jumped into these bigger boulders. Okay. Because there was there was the boulder field was pretty close, and then he got into these walls and he used the walls and he walked it down and he sucked into the wall and just climbed into a hole and didn't leave up. a trace. Never left a trace. That is the only option besides alien abduction. And. I I haven't personally been back, but I know John has at least been back there twice, and is not and cannot find this thing. God. And I mean, if I was to bet on it, I would have said there is no doubt. He go, I go. He might go, you know, ten miles, but we'll catch him. Yeah, and he'll come back here in nope. three weeks. Nope. Crazy. Wow. Yeah. Well, the uh, the mystery. The mystery never ends. The road goes on forever, and the party never ends. Yeah, especially on the big one. All right, Tyler, you told some fucking awesome stories. Thank you so much, yep. man. Um, no we didn't even get into killing big elk. We're sitting in a room surrounded by giant elk and all sorts of other memories and trophies yeah. of yours. So we're going to have to do it again. But this was insightful. I appreciate you. Yeah. And uh, 
I hope the rest of your cat season ends up uh, almost shed season. Uh, yeah, I hope I hope you catch another cat before you focus on antlers. Tomorrow, tomorrow I'm gonna. All right, we'll see it. <laughs>